But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guest that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is Common Sense. fraud, COVID, pandemic, lockdowns, inflation, crop shortage, toilet paper shortage. It's crazy. If you're worried about the future, I really don't blame you. Millions of Americans are wondering what to do. How do you hedge your bet? How do you protect yourself and your family? Well, Americans are quietly stocking up on emergency food, shouldn't you? So ask yourself, do you currently have enough food on hand to get you through the next month? If not, you should strongly consider getting a four-week emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply. They're the nation's number one prepared this company, and their mission is your survival. They've served millions of American families, and they will be honored to serve you too. So right now, you can save $50 off their four-week emergency food kit, which comes with breakfast, lunch, dinner, drinks, and even snacks. This food gives you a minimum requirement of 2,000 calories per day, and the special packaging keeps it fresh for up to 25 years in proper storage. You can't go wrong. So head on over to preparewithsouthernsense.com and claim your four-week emergency food kit at this special price. You'll save $50 per kit if you act now. So if you're on my website listening to this show, go up to the top corner and you'll see my smiling face on the left-hand side where it says prepare. Click on that link to My Patriot Food. 
or you can go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. Be prepared. All right, and welcome back to another adventure here on Blog Talk Radio. You're listening live to Southern Sense. I'm your hostess with the least most distant radio chickadee, Annie. And Curtis is going to be a little late. He was doing some sort of a public speech, so he's on his way back, I guess, to his hotel room. So he will be joining us hopefully within the next half hour. Anyway, we've got ourselves a jam-up lineup today. Uh, we're starting off with former Congressman Ted Yoho. Uh, he's going to be joining us at the top of the show. And we have someone special, Jonathan Dunn. He's on Blaze Media. He has his own radio show called Freedom's Disciple. He's got a very interesting story and a very interesting man. He's also an author as well as the podcaster. Um, we also have Peter Navarro. You see him up on Fox News and Newsmax just about every day. He's a former trade advisor to President Trump, and he's got a new book out called In Trump Time, A Journal of America's Plaque, a Plague War. Uh, and I caught him in a different interview with another uh, podcaster, and I was going, oh, my God, this, this guy is going to rock your socks. He is fantastic. And then um, we're going to have our bi- bi-monthly guest, Mark uh, Tapscott from the Epic Times. And we're going to close off again with a guest from the Heritage Foundation, Jonathan Butcher. So we've got a lot to talk about, and it's, it's, it's really nuts out there. And the last thing I heard on the news before I came in to open up the studio uh, was, oh, gee whiz, crazy Uncle Joe, Joe Biden, has decided to reinstate the Trump policy of stopping the immigrants at the border effective in November. Not today, not tomorrow, but in November. Now, we have an untold number of illegal aliens heading to our border now, and they're already on the move. They can be here in less than a week. Because you know they're giving them buses, they're putting them on trains, and they're just shipping them up here. We don't know how many are going to be coming. I've heard anywhere from 200,000 to 600,000 will be invading our borders. We already have the cartel shooting at our agents across the border. They're sending hit squads across the border to kill Americans in their homes because we dare to protect our borders. So this is going to be an interesting, interesting conversation we're going to have with all of our guests. And so we have a lot to talk about, a lot to do, and hopefully Curtis will be with us before uh, Ted Yoho joins us. But those that listen to the show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's is a little bit special because it goes out to two individuals. One is a corrections officer. The other is a nurse. And today's show is being dedicated to correctional officer Robert McFarland and nurse Lorena Schulte of the Iowa Department of Corrections. Their end of watch was on Tuesday, March 23rd of this year. And this is from Channel 5, We Are Iowa. And it reads, 
Iowa officials have released the identities of the nurse and correctional officer attacked and killed by an inmate at the Anamosa State Penitentiary on Tuesday, March 23, 2021, in the morning. Registered nurse Lorena Schulte, 50, had worked at the facility since July 30, 2007. Correctional officer Robert McFarland, 46, had worked at the facility since October 20th of 2008. I call this event a tragedy because that is truly at the heart of what took place. Two wonderful people had their lives taken from them while they were simply trying to do their jobs here at Anamosa. Iowa Department of Corrections Director Dr. Beth Skinner said, I want to make it clear about what took place here. Two public servants were taken from this world by an act that I can describe as pure evil. According to Special Agent Richard Ron with the DCI, the Jones County Dispatch Center received a call from the facility around 10.18 a.m. with a report of three staff being injured. Once on the scene, Authorities found that McFarland had received blunt force trauma to the back of his head. They found Schulte in the facility with the same injury. The LA Fire Department wrote the following on Facebook. It is with great sorrow and sadness that the LA Volunteer Fire Department shares the passing of Lieutenant Robert McFarland. Robert's friendship and dedication to the fire service and community will be greatly missed. Please. Keep Robert's family and loved ones in your thoughts and prayers. Rest easy, brother. We'll take it from here. Another individual injured in the incident was McKinley Roby, who also suffered a blunt force trauma injury to the back of his head. Roby, an inmate, is being treated at the University of Iowa for his injuries. Roby attempted to help McFarlane and Schulte during the attack, and was injured while doing so, Ron said. The investigation thus far has revealed this that the two individuals who are responsible for this heinous, heinous act, Thomas Woodward and Michael Dutcher, Ron said, they were attempting to escape the facility, and essentially McFarland and Schulte interceded there, attempting to stop the escape, and subsequently received the injuries that they did. Dutcher, 28, was initially committed to the Anamosa for two counts of first-degree robbery, second-degree robbery, and ongoing criminal conduct. He was sentenced to 50 years. Dutcher started his sentence on May 14, 2015. His anticipated release date would have been April 18, 2057. Woodard, 39, was also initially committed to the Anamosa for first-degree robbery as well as first-degree burglary. He was sentenced to 25 years. Woodard started his sentence on January 13, 2017. His anticipated release date would have been March 10, 2029. I won't be able to provide all the information, but I can tell you this that Mr. Dutcher and Woodward attempted to escape by shattering glass in the break room within the infirmary. 
By doing so, that allowed them access to the bars. And then they took a grinder in an attempt to grind away the bars in hopes of being able to escape through the window. The pair had two hammers and a grinder. They were on a special work detail for rehabilitation of the workroom. Ron said the inmates were completely unsuccessful in their attempt to escape. McFarlane was in the break room when he was attacked. Schulte arrived shortly later when she was then attacked. Another staff member came in to assist her fellow employees before she was grabbed by Dutcher. The other employee said she was told she would be next if she didn't cooperate. She was held against her will and then released. Ron said witnesses identified Woodard as the inmate who attacked and killed Schulte and McFarland. When Dutcher ran out of the break room, witnesses said he was covered in blood. Also from We Are Iowa, Channel 5. They deserved to be able to go home. That's what former inmate Eddie Walker said about correctional officer Robert McFarland and nurse Lorena Schulte, who were both killed by an inmate at the Anamosa State Penitentiary. Walker served nearly 18 years behind bars for a first-degree robbery charge before being released on parole in 2019. About three years, 20 to 23 and 2017 to 2018, were spent at Anamosa. Due to his diabetes, Walker frequently visited the infirmary where Schulte and McFarland worked. Walker stopped in so frequently he started calling McFarland Mac. Mac was a good dude, somebody that when I walked into medical, the first thing he would say is, hey, Walker, what's going on? Walker said Lorena was always one to, you know, hey, Eddie, how are you doing? You all right? Is everything okay? Walker said the 46-year-old Ellie resident would often talk about his work with the city's volunteer fire department when Walker asked him about his weekend. That's only if the pair weren't talking about the Hawkeyes. As for Schulte, Walker said the 50-year-old nurse was good-hearted and could tell when he wasn't having a good day. According to the Division of Criminal Investigation, Schulte and McFarland were in the break room at the prison's infirmary when two Anamosa inmates attempted to escape the prison. The inmates, Thomas Woodward and Michael Dutcher, had two hammers and a grinder. When McFarland and Schulte attempted to intervene in their escape, they were allegedly hit in the back of the head. Walker said the news of McFarland and Schulte's death was really shocking. When I saw that, it just, you know, they deserved to be able to go home. Just to see something like that is gut-wrenching. Today's show is dedicated to Correctional Officer Robert McFarland and Nurse Lorena Schulte. And on a side note, Lorena Schulte was an immigrant born in El Salvador and adopted as a child and brought here to the United States and became an American citizen and served to give back to the country that took her in. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency workers. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women 
that serve in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into our hopeful future. We dedicate this song by Todd Allen Herndon, My Name is America. May God bless each and every one of them. I fought for my liberty I paid with the blood of my people Freedom has never been free Now my door's always open To dreamers and friends When I'm attacked I protect and
Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, iTart, Facebook, not iTart, iHeart, <laughs> YouTube, Facebook, and all the heck of it. You know what I'm going to say. Go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Uh, we're waiting for Curtis to finally come in. Um, I thought I saw him poking his nose in a little bit, but uh, disappeared again. Anyway, hopefully he'll be with us shortly. We've got some good news here. Something good happened this morning. Believe it or not, sometimes something really good does happen every now and then. Um, Lieutenant Colonel Schuller, um, the lieutenant colonel that posted the videos and then got sent to the brig um, over at Quantico, um, and he went to trial and he pleaded guilty. And everyone's going, oh, hoping that, you know, they would drag out and expose this as the big sham it is. Uh, General Milly Vanilli can turn around and go to all the major news networks and talk to them without talking to the president first. That's okay. He can call China without conferring with the president uh, about what he's talking to China about. No, that's okay. Nothing happens to him. Uh, but Lieutenant Colonel Scheller got thrown into the brig for almost a week, uh, went to his trial, and the judge handed down the sentence. Now, he could have ended up losing a full year in pay um, and have a, a much worse – he could have been sent back to the brig. Um, however, this Marine Corps judge did the right thing. I believe he absolutely did the right thing. He gets a letter of reprimand in his folder, and he loses only one month pay, which comes up to approximately $5,000. He will get a honorable discharge, and he may not get his pension, but he'll still retain his VA benefits. That's a good thing. He's got a side business, so he has a way to you know, keep on earning money, which is good also. So I think the Marine Corps, in the end, they have overreacted to begin with, and obviously this judge had enough wit about him, enough common sense, and enough oorah for the Marine Corps to do the right thing. Now, Lieutenant Colonel Schiller, he knew he did wrong. He knew he went against orders. He, and he pleaded guilty to that. And I think, I think that we came out on the right end of this. It goes, went to expose. It went to, go to expose the hypocrisy the left has. And here you have two good men that did the right thing. So I'm glad for Lieutenant Colonel. He can go home to his wife and children and start his life all over again. So God bless him. My prayers go with him. Now I'm hoping this is Curtis that's popping in and out. And let's see if it is. Is this you, Curtis? Can you hear me? Yes, can I you hear me? I can hear you, honey. Yep. All right. We got you. All right. So Curtis is with us. Congratulations. And I was talking about uh, Lieutenant Colonel Scheller. He got his sentencing today. And uh, he only loses one month pay. He gets a letter of reprimand in his folder. He will be able to uh, disconnect, retire, not retire, but, you know, resign from the Marine Corps, and go back home to his wife and children within a matter of a couple of days, probably. Very soon, he'll be home with okay. his family. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Considering good. what he was facing, yeah. And the Marine Corps, in the end, did the right thing. This one judge did the right thing. So, right. anyway. Anyway. Um, 
we have a lot to talk about, and I'm just waiting for Uncle Ted to call in. Uh, but here's another good thing that ha- that came across. Um, the Democrats have been trying to raise money like crazy. Well, guess what? The people are so PO'd with, let's go, Brandon. <laughs> um, there was a red tidal wave that broke over D.C. The Republicans and a record-breaking fundraiser hauled in over $105 million this year. There's going to be a red wave, on, and the election's coming up November 2nd, this coming November. Check out what is going on in your ballot, in your polling station, because we have two referendums that we are now pulling all stops out to stop. So don't, don't ignore the small ones, the, the between the presidential elections. Don't ignore them. Don't ignore the off-year ballots. Because that's when they sneak things in on you, and you've got to be prepared. I see more people coming up into our studio, so if it is our guest, please press 1 so I know it's you. Otherwise, I'm going to assume that you are just listening. Um, But, yeah, you have to pay attention to these off-ballots, because that's when people end up getting elected when they shouldn't, or they slip in a tax that you're unaware of until you go to the store. And this is how tone-deaf. My county council is on a year that we have the pandemic, a year where people were losing their jobs, being laid off and going through the stress of the lockdowns and everything else, just struggling to make ends meet. A lot of them just even can't even find the money to pay their mortgage or rent. And our county council goes and votes themselves a raise. Now, talk about tone deaf. Is that not tone deaf, Curtis? How nice of them to think so highly of themselves. (laughs) Yeah. So not only do they vote themselves a raise, they put on the ballot, on an off-year ballot, where everyone is hurting the most and just starting to get back to life as normal, and inflation hits, and we go from gas prices. Gas prices here, where I lived, at one point were down to $1.69. They are now climbing up over $3. That's almost a 100% increase. And it's across the board. Meats, eggs, dairy products, uh, common things are just disappearing off the shelves. While we have over half a million ships full of cargo sitting outside of the docks in L.A., and um, what's, what's the other port? Oh, geez. Um, oh, just like two, two ports that carry in California 40% of all the products being shipped to the United States. They're sitting out there and also I outside New of New York. Yeah, New York is the other yeah. one. But there's two, two, two ports in California that take 40% of everything that's shipped, because most of it's coming in from China, which goes, why are we so reliant on communist China? That's a whole nother conversation here. So, you know, we have shortages of stuff. Prices are inflating, like, unbelievably. They vote themselves a raise, and then they put an additional sales tax on the ballot. And then to kick our teeth in just a little bit more, the very people that handle those taxes, we vote into office, the treasurer and the auditor. They do two different things. One sets the rate, 
the other one collects the money and disperses it. And we choose who they are. And the more fiscally responsible they are, the more we are going to be happy to elect them. Well, they want to take our vote away. They want to take our voice away and make those positions appointed by the county council that just voted themselves a race. This is what they do to you on an off-year ballot, folks. So pay attention. Wake up. This is your call. And if anything should wake you up is what is sitting in the White House and rolling downhill because the Shiite comes rolling downward. And it's going to be on your head if you don't get up off your butt and do something about it, folks. We are. And I'm organizing sign waving. Uh, We're taking out ads in the local papers. We have other organizations working alongside with us. We're going to be writing editorials. And as I'm speaking out here now, I know a lot of my members that are part of my Tea Party, a lot of the members of the local Republican parties are listening to my voice. And folks, don't think this is a non-issue. Don't think people aren't aware of this. When I moved here, the sales tax was 4%. When I left New York 20 years ago, actually almost 21, it was at 8%. What is the sales tax going to be down here now? If this initiative passes, it will range between 8 to 9%, depending upon where you live in the county. 8 or 9%. For South Carolina? Uh-uh. That, that, that's not wa- washing. So, you know, this is where your vote means the most. This is where it affects your everyday life. And, folks, we got to wake the nation up and we start from the bottom all the way back up to the White House and we can't clean the White House out unless we clean our own house out in our own backyard that's my rant for this morning (laughs) well the way I see it um, this does not bode well for the Democrats because people are filling this in their pockets and their pocketbooks and uh it seems like when they go all out to get their way, the American uh, people suffer, and they will not, not forget, you know, when it comes to election time, who put them in the position they are. So I really, I really see a wave, just like you just mentioned, big red wave in twenty twenty two. Mhm. Mhm. And. I would say our county, self-inflicted wounds. Yeah. Our county administrator um, about a month ago initiated a policy. Just He didn't consult. Well, he did consult county council, and county council said, we're not touching this because they already know that if they try again with the mask mandate, we will descend upon their <sighs> meetings. <laughs> and we've already done that. But um, he initiated in any city building, you had to wear a mask. Well, guess what? Come Monday, that is lifted because the people here have spoken. And it's now our voices are being heard. And if we can't get our local officials, our local representatives to listen, then how the heck are we going to make it up to the White House and change that out? Anyway, our guest is in the studio. So I want to welcome former congressman from Florida, Ted Yoho. Good afternoon, Ted. How are you today? 
I'm doing great, Annie and Curtis. I um, appreciate you having me on again. Yeah. No well, problem. I was just on a local. A, I was a on honor. a local rant because uh, we've got an off-year election, and my local county council is slipping in some nasty stuff onto the ballot, and we are at full war right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> and we got yeah, the election you are. November second. Oh man! I mean, let me put it this way: I have been on such a chair for the last month. That, you know, um, back in August, my members of the Tea Party had asked me, would we censure Lindsey Graham because he voted for that infrastructure bill, that boondoggle with so much pork in it. It's unbelievable. And he helped pass that. And I said, all right. And my my Tea Party said, let's do it. I said, okay. Now, we're not a formal group. We're just a bunch of people that meet. We're not incorporated. We decided we don't want the IRS on our back. And we've been doing this since 2009. It's the first time we've actually wrote a censure of any elected official. And it finally got sent to Lindsey Graham's office. It got sent to my county GOP. It got sent to the state GOP. It got sent to the newspapers. And yesterday morning, I go into the liquor store for my little sneaky peek. And there was the newsstand right next to the front door. I look over, and I see I am on the front page. Are you? Congratulations. (laughs) You're a public enemy number one now, huh? Oh, I've been that for a while. <laughs> yeah, you just heightened um, that, huh? Oh, man. Well, you I, know, I just, you but, said something there that's kind of neat. You're not incorporated. And if you go back to when the Tea Party um, movement happened, it was an unorganized, organic movement of the frustrations that people had in this country And I can only imagine prior to the Revolutionary War, there was that sentiment and that feeling, but they did it without an Internet, without news, well, with kind of um, media that we have today. Can you hear me? Yep, we got you. Lou? Okay. Yeah, we got you. You go to the local McDonald's. But, you know, they, they had the, the town crier. They had the people that w- wrote the, their newspapers. Uh, Publix is one of them. Um, there was so many that were out there that were putting out their pamphlets. But you also had the Black Robe Regiment, and that's what we don't have anymore, the Black Robe Regiment, to stand there in the pulpit and say that this is what the Bible and this is what Jesus teaches us, and this is where our government is stepping on our faith, on our rights, and it's time for us to speak up and speak out. We're missing It that. really is, and we are coming to that point, and I think it's going to come rapidly. Um, I was in Alachua County last night at their black tie and blue jeans. They had almost a 1,000 people there. Candace Owens was their speaker, and she just knocked it out of the park with her delivery, her message, and her story. And... Um, You know, uh, she makes no bones about this, and I feel the same way. This is a war that we are in. I mean, it has started. Uh, Let's hope it stays peacefully and that people will rise up and answer that call and push back on this nonsense that the Democrats, I can't even call them Democrats anymore. If you look at their doctrines, you know, you go to Kamala Harris, she talks about uh, each should give according to their ability to to those um, according to their needs. 
Yeah. And the new appointee that uh, or nominee for the um, uh, the regulator of the currency, she is um, a graduate of the Lenin Grad School of Economics, and she has espoused the very same words. And she says that the uh, Soviet system of economy and jobs are far superior when it was the USSR to the United States. And so when people say, oh, we're Democrats, no, you're communists. The modern-day Democrats are communists, and I make no bones about that. And we need to call these people out. Yes. Well, not only did she attend the Lenin Academy, she did so on a Soviet scholarship. She's openly Marxist. I mean, we have open – it used to be a point where they hid. You never knew that they were communists. But there is a communist caucus in Congress. It used to be yeah. called the, the Democratic caucus. It used to be called the progressive. They went from Democrat to progressive to communist caucus. They're openly yeah, and I'm, there. Yeah. And it, it correct me if it, I'm wrong, but didn't we fight several wars to prevent the spread of communism? And we still are, obviously, but we're not getting it right. Well, you know, we, we gave up Afghanistan, which opened the door for China to step in and help them. So all we're going to have is a Muslim caliphate controlled by communist China, because they'll go from Afghanistan, Tajikistan, um, Pakistan, over to Iraq. It's just a leap across, and all the, uh, uh, the uh, Arab peninsulas, were, were, that whole Middle East area, will be part of China. It'll be a satellite of China. Come on. It, re- already it really will be. I mean, they've You're got right. their fingers in our, our government. They've got our, their fingers in almost every single government throughout the entire world, and no one is paying attention. And we let's, have let's allowed come back them to, that. to saturate us. Let's come back mm-hmm. to that. Curtis, okay. you, you asked something? Yeah. Any, and I would just talking before you came on and I was telling her that the Democrats are about to shoot themselves in the foot because America, you know, is now getting a taste of this socialism with the um, mandates and the the high um, gas prices and the shortages and the, the grocery stores and, and I think and, and both of us think it's going to be a big, you know, red wave in 2022. <clears throat> Uh, people are just fed up, and as you know, I speak to different groups all across um, the Fruit of Plain, and everywhere I go, people are just frustrated. I mean, it's above level 10. It's like a 12 or 14. They are steamed. They are ticked off. So, actually, I'm hoping that the Democrats keep this up because they're going to be the downfall, their own downfall. That's what I want to say. Curtis, one of what? Did we just lose Ted? I think, so I think we just lost Ted. You're speaking to. Can you not hear me? Well, we, Hello. No, we didn't. We, we lost you for a second. Go ahead, Let's say it again. Well, talking, okay, Curtis. The demographics of I'm the groups you. that you speak to describe them. Oh, they're all conservatives. Um, for the most part, they are business people. 
they are people who rely on um, other businesses to stay in business. You know, I mean, you know, when you have to have people that bring, say like you run in a restaurant, well, you need to have paper cups and plates and, and meats and things like that to come in. And if you're not getting that, it's hard to um, keep your business open. And right. well, what in about the age? We have restaurants. What about the age that's oh, the represented? Age? Well, the gender and the race. I would say um, the circles I travel basically are Caucasians and some Latinos and and a handful, and I mean a handful of blacks. But they're they're people that's over fifty, and most of them are. Um, business people, some are retirees, they are people who were part of the Tea Party, Republican clubs, um, Republican right. executive committees, and and then there's some um, independents and even Democrats that I know that are upset, you know, I mean, you they have are, this guy, you have this guy in office group. who has to be reminded every day that he's president, you know, and then... He responds, sure. um, I am. What what country? <laughs> so well, when you look at the voting off. block, I think it's 70 to 80% of the millennials voted for Joe Biden. Now, That's right. keep in mind what our educational system has done over the last 40 years. It has dumbed down America. We're issuing more degrees, but we're getting dumber in math, reading, and science. The things that are important for a country to move forward with innovation and things like that. And that is one of the designs of Marxist doctrine is they want to take education and put it in the hands of the government. They don't, they want to break down the family. And Curtis, you and I have talked about the African American family and we're seeing extending into the white families with the amount of people being born out of wedlock. I think it's 75% of the African Americans are born out of wedlock. Um, the whites are, um, going up in that scale. And so it is by design that this is happening. And if you dumb down your populace, your voting block, the government can do pretty much what they want to. And then you think of 9-11, and I've talked to groups of this. Um, I'll talk to a young group, and I'll say, how many people ever flew on an airplane prior to 9-11, 2001? Very few hands went up. And then ask them this question. How many of you have flown before TSA was present? And you'll have 90% of those kids or the young adults never knew the freedoms and liberties we had that we have lost by a government program, TSA, that was only supposed to be a temporary program that has been put in place so they know no different that they think this is the way it's supposed to be. And government is doing this by design. And when you look at a country like China that's got one point close to 4 billion people and people are perplexed that they don't stand up for liberty and freedom, they don't know what that is because for 70, well, since 1949, they have been ruled by a communist party that has teached, and their doctrine is there is no power in the universe stronger than the Communist Party, and you're supposed to um, um, bow down to the Communist Party and serve the Communist Party. 
and that's what's happening in this country. And so if we do not win this next election in a red wave, this country is on the path of forever changing unless there are stronger tactics to change it back to a constitutional republic. That is the huge amen, because I said the whole purpose of this is that we no longer kneel at the altar of God, but we bow at the altar of government. And I have been yelling that for years, and that's the entire purpose. And, it's power, and control, Hollywood. tyranny. Yeah, well, these, the blue um, idiots, the intellectuals will find once they get rid of us, they're next. They're, they're, right, they're and that's why I wanted to point out us. that demographic of the meetings that we speak to, they're usually the GOP, the grand old party, you know, people in walkers, they're the old people, they're the dying generation, and we have got to engage young Americans, and we have, and they're out there. Uh, there's a group that started in um, Alachua County, um, Marlon Bruce, which I'll send you the information. He's a young African-American, very dynamic. They've traveled over 50,000 miles, raised $40,000, engaging young Americans, uh, conservatives. Well, you know, we also have that movement. Not, I don't know if it's that specific, but we have here our young Republicans. And for a while, the group yeah. was working and it just kind of like withered out but a young man a african-american dynamic also took up the reins and he's actually going into where other african-americans live because we've got the gola geechee uh, culture up here and he's going out there and engaging them like why are you voting for a democrat well this is an issue i'll march with you but let's look at it this way and he has been engaging them and bringing them in and showing them that, hey, you've been led like sheep, but this is what these people are standing for. This is what they're fighting for. They're fighting for things that will help you wake up. Wake up and stop being on the plantation and come taste freedom. And that's basically his you know, message. You, you, you hit that on the head. I mean, the Democratic Party are the plantation owners of the 21st century. They want to give people yeah. what they want to keep them where they're at and dependent on a government program. You know, what floors me is is that it has gotten so bad, and you and I are of the age where we lived through the civil rights movement. We were there when they started busing. And Kamala Harris, I missed the bus so many times because they sent me over to the next town, which is two miles away. I ended up having to walk to school two miles. So you got the chance to ride the bus, Kamala Harris. I had to walk violin and books in hand. <laughs> yeah, I played the violin. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we fought for desegregation. We fought for the ideals of Martin Luther King, the content of character, not the color of skin. And we accepted people. You think, look at the TV shows we had back there, All in the Family. Um, you think about all the TV shows we had. Where race did not Sanford matter. and Sons. Yeah, moving yeah. on up to the east side. Of, moving on, of, the Jeffersons, Georgia and Weezy. Right, right, right. You know, you think about those TV shows, and today they would be considered politically incorrect. But yeah. we said, no, everyone is equal. So now what are they doing? They're segregating the colleges. Campus, you could only have this yeah. area 
for multiculturalism and the rest are for the privileged white. Um, even the well, and then they're separating graduations. Yeah. They're, they're having that's separate mind, uh, African-American graduations in some of those universities. Yeah, oh, no, you also have a, a separate one for the LBGTQ community, too. They get, they get their separate one. <laughs> you know, Theodore Roosevelt gave a great speech on immigration, and I won't go into the whole thing, but at the end of it, he says there's room for one flag. It's the American flag. There's room for one language and learn it. And he goes, you're either 100% American or not at all. We cannot be a bifurcated country. You're either an American or you're not, you know, and you can be from any culture you want to, and we'll respect that. And we always have pretty much in the past, we've had some rough roads and rocky roads, but the immigrant nations that have come to this country have embraced the ideals of America. And that's what made, that's what made America such a strong multicultural and diverse population because they all believed in the ideals that America stands for. And with what the Democrat Party is doing, the Communist Party is doing, is they're taking the words of Martin Luther King, judge me not by my color of my skin, but the character and content of my heart. They are going opposite of that and dividing this nation on the color of your skin and it's again, it's a communist ploy, and it's directly out of the Marxist manual and Saul Alinsky's manual. And why, why do we you... allow them? In fact, Louis Gohmert had a bill to ban the Democratic Party because they were a communist, anti-American party. I remember that. I remember that. Uh, that was. Just I was a co-sponsor funny. of that. Well, it obviously went nowhere. <laughs> but uh, why do you think they're going after the parents that are going at the school board meetings that are fighting CRT, critical race theory, because they don't want us to ban it from the schools. They don't want us to have our governors ban it from the curriculum. They want to force it upon us. And I, I watched parent after parent at the last school board I was at come up there, speak against it. And it didn't matter what sure. color they were. And even the kids no. were coming up and, and talking about it. And they don't want us to talk about this. They don't want us to challenge our school board. And I went directly to my school board representative, and I said, David, is this being taught? Because I'm looking at a website for CRT saying there's two teachers in our school district. And I gave him the names of the two teachers that signed a petition to keep CRT in the school. And thankfully, he went and checked to see if these people were employed. So it was someone just putting down phony names, thankfully. And I said, it is not being taught. And he goes, not as I'm aware of. And I said, well, I heard this one school in our district is teaching it, and I heard that from a parent. And he looked into it. So well, we have to challenge it every, every, every step. Well, you asked the question, why do you think they're doing that? It's to break down the family and put all authority remove it from the parent and, and uh, give it to the state. And they're doing this systematically. And, you know, don't kid, don't anybody kid themselves that are listening to you um, that this is going on. And we tend to look at the now, what's happening around us. But this goes back uh, a decade and a half. Um, I, I like to start it with the Clintons, but you can go back to Woodrow Wilson with the advent of the or the creation of the uh, Federal Reserve in 1913. But if you go back to Barack Obama and that group, 
that got behind him and put him in, they're still in charge. And I'll never forget the words because this was one of the pivotal points that drove me into politics. It was five days before the inauguration, and Barack Obama says, we are five days from fundamentally transforming America. Chuck Schumer said those very words uh, right before the elections of the two Democratic senators from Georgia. He goes, when we see... When we win these two uh, senatorial seats, we are going to fundamentally change America. So this is not something that is in the now. I mean, we're in the battle right here. But this is a long-term strategy of fundamentally transforming America. And if you look at Pelosi's, uh, the first 10 bills, H.R. 1 through 10, it's the same bills as that were introduced last Congress. They were reintroduced this Congress, and they are fundamentally transforming America and they they have to be stopped. They're communists. Yeah. Now, I, here's here's the big poser, because when I heard about all the cargo ships starting to pile up back in early September, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, these ships are coming from China. Is this a manufactured problem? Are they putting out the businesses that are supposed to be picking up all this stuff that's sitting on the docks so it sits there? and it piles up and the ships can't unload to deliberately make a goods shortage. Just as they did it with the pandemic, the goods shortage is everything disappearing off the shelf. They're doing it again. This is manufactured. And I went insofar as to write to my uh, state uh, senators and state uh, representatives and to Governor McMaster, and I said, listen, there's 27 Republican governors here. Get all 27 together, open up all the coastal ports in each of the coastal states that's a red state, and then get the other states that are inland to help you with the trucking and the transportation and the distribution. Use the National Guard if you need for the logistics. But open it up and invite them to our ports instead of waiting off the coast of California or New York. No one has answered. Well, my one representative said, well, should speak to him. That was the last I heard. Today, Governor DeSantis has opened up the ports in Florida and said, bring your ships here, we'll unload them, we'll get the goods moving. The very idea that... It'll be interesting to see if they do that. No, that's a great idea. But you've got to understand and look at why our manufacturing left this country to go to other countries. Because of our tax policies. And the Chinese government treated our companies better at that time than the United States government. And so you had John Kennedy had one of the best tax reforms in history. Reagan had it. Uh, Trump signed the American Jobs um, and Tax Act in the, in the law. And you saw the booming economy. And, you know, you look at what Biden is doing. You're not going to solve the supply chain issue if you drive companies out of America. We need those companies here. And it's unconscionable that an American company, and I know they're multinational now, but they're not putting this nation as one of their top priorities to make this nation strong. And um, they uh, kind of prostitute themselves out for profits uh, the easiest way they can instead of looking at what their responsibility is to a nation. And I, I believe in free markets, but I also believe you need to be smart in what team you're playing on. 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, I, I still say this is all manufactured because we're waking yep. up from the pandemic. We're getting our businesses back open. We're not wearing the mask. A lot of us are saying no to the vaccine, and that's not working. So what's the next best thing? Raise the prices, cause inflation, and cause goods shortage. And that way yeah. you're going to cow us again. But we've got to fight back. We've got to use American know-how and innovation to get this rolling. If the government isn't going to do it, the federal government is going to do it, we need our state governments to say, no, this is what the Constitution was about. The power remains with us. You have enumerated powers. You step beyond that. No, we're not letting you do that. And that's what DeSantis is no, doing. I and I want to see my governor. So you can tell I'm a little bit pissed off here. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's your show. You have that. You have that privilege. Yeah, it, um, plus we know Annie to get the well, I was going to say to get the word out. It shows like you and Curtis getting that conservative voice out with a, a sense of reasoning to educate people to move them to action. It's people like Ron DeSantis that will be running for president and has a very good shot at winning that. Um, that has a strong leadership and they love this country and they want to stick to the core values. Yes, we want to re- rebuild our republic. I had someone on the show that said he wants to start a new government. Uh, I don't know if that's possible or if that would not result in an armed conflict, but let's try it our way first before we go to going that far and having another second the next election. I don't want to do The next election will determine which direction we will go. If we don't win in a big wave and we get a different Speaker of the House other than Kevin McCarthy, because Kevin's going to hold his finger up into the wind, and he'll decide policies based on what's popular on TV and that, and it's all made by sound bites, instead of leading the nation and uh, attack those big things, border security, our national debt, fixing Social Security and Medicare, and um, devolve from the federal government that which they shouldn't do and put policies in place that can't change with each administration. And you do that by writing the legislation that gets passed in the law. I'd, like, I'd love to see Louis Gohmert. <laughs> he's, he's no, no holds barred. Would love to see yeah. That would drive Poor the Louis. Democrats or the communists nuts. Well, and, and Louie, I mean, he's pure of heart, and he gets such a bashing, even, I mean, from his own party. I mean, when Boehner was in there and Paul Ryan, I mean, they just tore him up. And poor Louie, he's so passionate about this country. I mean, I've seen him come to tears, and they just kind of laughed at him. And, um, you know, he's a fighter. Well, Ted, you know you're welcome on here anytime. I mean, I loved you in Congress. Kat Kamak is doing a, a great job, too. She's, she's no-hold-barred herself, and they're coming after her. They're coming after her really yeah. big time. But she was you your gal. You should have her on and if you haven't. No, we had her when she was running, so I haven't been able to get her back on. So if you tell her, go come back on and Annie. Annie wants you back on the show. <laughs> you, I'll you text Curtis her number. I'll text her, oh, her, her cell number. Okay. Just give her a call, man. Tell her, that she's tell so her, busy. Tell her Ted told you to call. All right, I'll do that. 
I would. Well, Ted, right, thank buddy. you so much. You have a great day. I'll take care. We'll weekend. talk. God bless. Bye. All right. Ted Yoho. Bye-bye. All right. Former congressman from Florida, Ted Yoho. We have our next victim in on the line. First time on the show. He is an immigrant trying to become a legal citizen. And because he didn't come illegally over the Mexican border with the Haitians, he's not a citizen yet. So we've got to help him get his citizenship. want to welcome onto the show the host of Freedom's Disciple Jonathan Dunn. Good afternoon, John. How are you doing today? Good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. Or as we say in Ireland, top of the morning or top of the afternoon in this case. <laughs> the top of the Guinness, <laughs> you mean. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm the one Irish person that doesn't really drink, so I don't I can't really say that one. So but yes, thank you so much for having uh, me on. Oh, it is our pleasure. I mean, I started writing notes all over last night and I wrote half a dozen different things with Ted Yoho, and I only carried about three of them over. But, oh, my goodness. We have oh, – I have never seen border security in our nation at its lowest. And, I mean, I thought it was bad when I was a New York City cop under Giuliani, and you made an arrest, and you were not allowed to call INS and tell them you believe you had an illegal alien you you were you were forbidden to do that. That I thought was bad. But when it comes to just not even stopping them at the border and allowing them to have a temporary visa and let them disappear and never follow up, it blows my mind. The only thing I can think of is this is an actual invasion to destroy our this nation. Yeah, the rhetoric around your country, like I agree the border is a massive issue, but also the hypocrisy of the laws is just unbelievable. So right now your border is open and anyone can come across, you know, no negative PCR tests, no proof of vaccination, no nothing, no, you know, no papers, no nothing. But for me to, to come here as a, as a tourist and do a speaking tour, I had to go to Turkey for 15 days to isolate. I had to have a vaccination status to get into Turkey legally or else I wouldn't have been allowed in. And then to get into America, I had to prove within 72 hours I had to take a COVID test and prove I was negative. And that's what had to happen to come into your country. And then I get met at the border, or not at the border, at the airport. And I got to answer a load of questions from the TSA and uh, Homeland Security about what's the purpose of my trip, where am I staying, what am I doing, all these different things to make sure I'm doing things legally, which I always do. I'm always above board. But I had to go through all of that. But yet your border's wide on open. And immigration is an issue that really frustrates me in your country because no one wants to actually deal with the actual problem. No, because they're afraid if you do end up enforcing the actual laws, um, heaven forbid, mm-hmm. you'd be called a racist because they're not yeah. white Caucasian. It's not that. Mm-hmm. They're breaking the law that makes them a criminal. The very fact that they cross yeah. the border without going through the proper channel, and that makes yeah. them a criminal, period. But also, I think if you use the right narrative, you win this. Because the problem that I have with, you know, with things is it's easy to focus on the border. But obviously, COVID changed these stats. But prior to COVID, that world that did exist prior to COVID, only about 40 to 45% of illegal people in your country crossed your border. The vast majority of the 60% actually entered your country legally and overstayed their visa. But the pro- and I used to always have frustrations at Republicans who would just talk about the border. But like, yeah, the border is a big issue. You should build a wall. But you also need to understand that there's 60% of, if you care about illegal immigration, there's actually 60% of the illegal immigration that you can fix overnight. 
because these people came into your country illegally. They came by a tourist visa. They came by a work visa, and they overstayed, or they came by a college visa. You have a lot of paperwork. You have a lot of a documentation. If you want to start there, start deporting them, and that breaks down the racist narrative that you're going after these people because the people who overstay these visas, like the amount of Irish people who are in this country illegally, and as an Irish person, I always I have no sympathy for people who are Irish and overstayed their visa. I hope you deport every single last one of them, and they're mostly white. So I think if you actually change your narrative, build a wall, secure the border, because obviously there's massive things with the cartel, there's massive things with opioid problems, there's massive drug problems, but also there's 60% of the illegal immigration you can solve overnight if you actually enforce your laws. But no one ever seems to want to talk about that. And I think if you change that narrative, you actually you know, take away the racist element and you take away every trick that the Democrats are playing, say, hey, this is why you know, they can't do it. And this is why it's for everyone. And I think if you do that, you'd be surprised at how quickly you'll change the American people's opinion on, on immigration. Well, this is not a new problem. This has been going on for decades. No. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I remember my husband and I had a favorite, favorite place, the Jolly uh, Swagman, which is an Australian restaurant where I lived on Long Island at the time. We loved going there because the food was fantastic and the owners were from Australia. Legal immigrants became U.S. citizens. But they had this thing where whenever they needed workers, they brought in fellow Australians that came here illegally. So every once in a while, they had to go through a raid. I mean, this yep. was going back in the 80s. And how much longer before yep. this has been going on, Lord knows. So it's, it's something yep. our government, it doesn't matter what administration, it's been ongoing and it has not been fixed. Ever since they changed nope. the laws, which I believe was back in the 74, where it used to be when you came here, you had a sponsor. You had to have a job lined up. You had to have a place lined up. You could not be on the government dole for five years. And you had to to do so many things before you even came here. And in 74, they rescinded that, and it just opened the floodgates. And we've got to bring that back. Absolutely. But also, you see that this is a very nuanced debate. And the problem is you have to talk about every aspect of it. And this is the problem that you don't actually get with politics when you have because everyone wants to make their political point and then stop talking. So the problem is your border is open, you know, and and people want to come to your country. And I get immigrants. I'm one of those immigrants who thinks America is the highest aspiration of earthly terms of I want to be an American. But the thing is, you also need to understand the problem is very complex. One of the reasons you have people coming across the border is one is because you have, you know, it's open and people say, well, that's the easiest way to get in. The second reason is, is because to do things legally, I had a job with Glenn Beck. I had in 2017 he offered me a job and he was going to hire I was going to work for him privately and I was going to be a researcher for him. It's very hard to do things the right way. I didn't meet the visa requirements. The reason I failed the visa requirements and we didn't even apply because it would have been a waste of ten thousand dollars of Glenn Beck's money because we would never have got it. Was firstly I didn't have a college degree. I have an advanced diploma, which is just under that, but that doesn't count for anything. But the second reason was a bigger problem was when the lawyers met me, and we met the two different lawyers because we didn't like the first lawyer's answer and we wanted the second opinion, but they both said the same thing, was show me your work experience. Show me you can be a researcher for Glenn on the Constitution. So this is not a problem. I've done speaking tours. I've done shows on the Blaze. I was with the Blaze three years. I've written for countless publications. I showed them. I gave them all these links that here's the proof I can do this job. And they said, that's great. That's a lot of proof. How much money have you been paid? Show me your pay slips. And I went, I've never been paid. I do this all as a volunteer. In the eyes of the federal government, that doesn't count for anything. That's not work experience. You can't apply. 
So that's the reasons I fail. But the problem is, is the vast majority of work visas is a visa called the H-1B visa. The vast majority of these jobs go to bankers, doctors, and lawyers of big multinational companies who have the political context. So if you're a person like me, or you're an immigrant, or someone in Mexico, or Haiti, or everywhere else, and you're wanting to escape poverty, and you genuinely love America, guess what? The only way you get there is illegally, or you hope someone is there legally, and you can get there through chain migration. That's it. That what you need to do is enforce your laws, see what ways that may, you know, only have people who are legally here there, but also understand that you also need to reform your legal immigration and say, listen, how, who do we want in our country? Does America need more doctors? Well, maybe you do in 2021, but do we need more lawyers? Do we need more bankers? Or do we need more of different types of people, people who will actually love America, who understand why socialism and big government is never the answer and is always the problem and who will add to society? And that's what I think you need to do. But the problem this never happens is because lawyers and legal immigration is so costly that the lobbyists are up in D.C. going, do not change the system. We make a fortune. As I said, Glenn put $10,000 aside to get me here legally. $10,000. Wow. You know, I come from a a family of immigrants. I was married to an immigrant, and he happened to have been a refugee from World War II. This place, Persons Camp, was where he was born in Germany. His father uh, was a major in the Latvian army fighting against the Russians and the Nazis. Um, So he came with his, his three sisters and his mom and dad and his grandmother, and they came through legally. They had a sponsor because they were displaced without a country. They didn't have to have all the other things like an, uh, yes. a degree, which both of them did. Both of the parents did have their degrees. Um, matter of fact, mm-hmm. my father-in-law was a teacher before he became uh, an army major. And uh, they met most of the requirements and were able to have it with the sponsor and everything else. So I look at what they went through. Um, my Three of my grandparents were immigrants. Um, one of them came over as an infant. His father came over, dropped him in an orphanage, and disappeared. Uh, the other grandfather right. came over as a young man, you know, looking for a, to become an American, make his fortune. My, his wife, my grandmother, came here as a tourist, and when World War One broke out, she got stuck here with her sisters. So each one came through legally and then became American citizens. So I've lived this. So yes. I have seen it. They became all American citizens, and you did not speak German or Italian. One side was German, the other side Italian. You did not. That's not the language you yes. speak. This is America. We are American. You speak English only. So I never learned yes. Italian. Okay. And you know, I, I've lived through this and watched them struggle. And when I hear someone like you that is having a hard time and I look at this porous border, it just makes my blood boil. And I know Mm, the damage that these people can do because I lost a friend of mine, Bob Mashadi, Officer Bob Mashadi, was killed by an illegal immigrant that another friend of mine who worked for INS escorted back over the border three times. He came back over a fourth time and then murdered this police officer on duty who happened to have been a friend of mine. And I'll never forget Bob Machadi. So, yeah, absolutely. I know the but damage they can do. Absolutely. But I think if you, like, I honestly think if, if you can get the politics out of this and get both parties out of it, and you actually, the American people start sharing a narrative about immigration, I think you actually can win it because it's such a powerful argument. Like, you know, just take, you know, let me give you some stories. You know, if you want to use mine, do. 
the idea that you have an open border and at the same time John has to go to Turkey for 15 days and it costs him $2,500, how is that just unfair? Or then if you want to talk to someone who's a bit more radical kind of go who wouldn't have a problem with that, just go, well, that's just the way the system works. Well, just look at the actual journey you're asking these people to go illegally. You know, I hear about from the left always say this. If it could just save one child, this policy would be worth it. Do you know how many people die making that journey? Because it's not a fun journey, especially if you do it at the wrong time of year where it's extremely hot and you're in the middle of a desert and you've got rattlesnakes and you've got, you can have heat stroke, you can die of starvation, you can die of thirsty because if you run out of water, it's not a safe journey. That's just the, the, the geographics of it. Then you add that you're putting these people in the hands of a cartel to make these different crossings because there's different sort of um, waterways that they have to cross or there's different sections that they have to go with a coyote. Do you think that's responsible? Even if you want to forget the adults, do you think it's safe sending a kid into the hands of a cartel saying, hey, come to America, go to the cartel? If you share this narrative, you win. Or share the stories about all the legal immigrants. And this is what I always encourage people behind the scenes who have you know, shared some stories like you, because I'm blessed to meet many people at speaking. I'm kind of going, you need to start speaking out and say, look, all the things you had to do to get here legally. And here's the thing. You did it because you love America. And look at how much you've achieved because you came here legally and you got the American dream to pursue your happiness and you became very successful. Now, why is it fair that you had to do all of that work, all of that time, all all of that expense, all of that stress, and at the same time, people can just cross. How is that compassionate? If you share those, those three simple narratives, you win. Or even if you have to, say, you talk about the legal immigration, the system, where they go, who's getting rich from this system? Lawyers. Even the left hate the lawyers. I think if you share the correct narrative, you'll be surprised at how much you can change your immigration system and really quickly because the people will demand you change it. Because deep down, even despite all the politics and the, you know, the, the, the narrative of left versus right and Democrats versus Republicans, the average American is still very good, very decent, and will want to do the right thing. It's just they're not being given that option or they're not being given that narrative or they're not being given that choice. And I think if you give them the choice, you will be shocked at how many respond favorably to you. Well, not only that, the enslavement that happens when these people do cross over illegally, because they have to pay these coyotes. They have to pay the cartels. They wear these little armbands, different colors, meaning whether or not they paid or they owed or they have to work it off, and they're being forced to bring across drugs, illegal weapons, Mm -hmm. uh, end up joining gangs like MS-13 because these people come over and they're sworn that this is the debt you yep. have to pay, or into human trafficking. Young babies, yep. as well as mm-hmm. women and young boys, being sold into human trafficking, told to work. And you're out there on the street, and you've got to take 20, 30 different Johns a, a day? Oh, come on. Yep. Yeah, yeah no, that's, and, that's and an issue that's very close babies. to my heart. That, that. Yeah, absolutely. There's more kids in sex slavery today than there was in the whole slave trade combined. And no one wants to talk about it, but everyone wants to re-talk about slavery. We should talk about slavery. We should learn the lessons and make sure it never happens again in America, but also it's happening around the world. But we also must take the examples of that there's more kids in sex slavery, not just slavery, sex slavery. And we need to rise up and say never, never again meant something. The world at World War II said never, ever again. Well, why are we doing it again? We're literally watching it happening, and all I hear in so many circles is crickets, silence, 
and ignorance is no longer an excuse. The evidence is clear. There's more kids in sex slavery. As you said, there are people out there who are, you know, having to perform 20 sex acts a night. They don't get paid for it. They're forced to do it. They have to do porn. They have to, you know, reveal their bodies. They have to do horrific things. And these are kids. And, and, and you know, just to be real blunt, because I know this topic, because it's, it's one that really annoys me. I try and help out behind the scenes. When I say kids, I'm talking about as young as a four-year-old boy. Before asking, been told to perform a sex act or having a sex act performed them. Imagine looking at a four-year-old boy. Imagine looking at your four-year-old son or your four-year-old daughter or your four-year-old grandbaby saying, you have, imagine them having to perform a sex act or have one performed on them. That's what's happening in the world right now. And all I hear in so many circles is, oh, didn't know that. What are you going to do about it? Uh, I'll go back to my cushy life. I, it's, not, it's not popular to talk about it. We need to start telling people these narratives and telling the truth and start waking people up. No, plus the cartel has a massive army on the border to prevent mm -hmm. our border patrol from doing their job. They're sending hit squads yeah. across the border into American homes and murdering Americans in their homes. This is costing yeah. lives, not only just the mm -hmm. enslavement of these people coming over. And if they're not good enough for the sex trade, then they're sold into servitude where they work in either yep. sweatshops or some rich person now has a new cook in their kitchen that they don't have to pay. So you just give them a little yep. bed in the back shack. It doesn't, you don't, yep. They don't treat them like human beings. It's cheap labor, very cheap mm -hmm. labor. And why do you think uh -huh. these big corporations don't want for us to get our people, Americans, back to work? Because now they've got cheap labor coming over the border to work in the factories. Mm -hmm. No, no, you're, you're verified. You know, Don't worry about that. But I think, you know, and this is what I always boil it down to. If you look at just the arguments we've just discussed, the narrative of all these points, I, I think if you share these narratives, again, outside of politics, it's up to your people to share them. I think if your people share them, I don't, you know, obviously there'll always be fringes on, on either side who won't think, who won't care, won't anything. But the, the vast majority of Americans are still good, decent people. I think if you start sharing these narratives, I think the average American, regardless of how they vote with the party affiliation they have beside their name or how they voted, I think we'll be shocked at this and kind of go, that's not right. We need to do something. Yeah, you do. You, no. But you can do something. And then I, that's what I believe. But the problem is, how many times do you hear these stories? How many times you know, do, you, do you hear people talk about these things? How many people do you share an honest narrative where there's no anger in what we're saying? There's no malice in what we're saying. We're just saying, hey, these are the things that are going on. This is why we need to act, and this is why we need to stop us. And, hey, this is not fair to, to people like me, to people who want to do the right thing, to the immigrants who are trying to come here illegally. It's not fair on them either. Um, you know, to put them in that situation, to make that journey, or to be held at a cartel, or to be put in sex slavery. Most people will know that and kind of go, that's wrong. If you share these narratives, you win. Yeah. And then for everybody that comes over, an NGO is getting tax, our tax dollars to find them and help them resettle. But we're resettling them where the cartel wants them. So we are actually giving the cartel a hand by helping to resettle them wherever the cartel wants them to go. And then we pay these NGOs yep. to be traffickers of slaves. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's a great tax system. Taxpayers' works are great money. And the groups that do it could be the Lutheran Church, the Catholic bishops. It's the churches mm -hmm. as well as private nonprofit organizations. I mean, um, what's her name? Ann something or other has a great 
she had a website up for the UN resettlement. But what she started with the NGOs, it just dovetails into this disaster that's happening at the border. And once they come in, yep. they disappear. They disappear. Yep. And then we again, are the bad guys because. Yep. So go on. Keep we going. become the bad guys. You're the bad guys. <laughs> we are the yeah. bad guys. We're the but racists. Also, We're the ones that don't care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, your narrative exactly hasn't been. I say, like, you know, just think of the arguments. I don't know how long we've been speaking 15, 20 minutes. We've shared different narratives. You know, the, the narrative from, from America and all sides hasn't been good on, the, on immigration. So I think if you, if you change your narrative and you change your tone, I think you take the racist element out of it. And, I, again, you know, the, like, you know, for me, and this is just because, you know, I'm Irish and stuff, like I wish you'd start deporting Irish people. But, you know, you say that to Americans and they kind of go, why would you want to do that? Why, why, why are they a problem? Kind of goes, they're here illegally. You know, so I think if you start, if you actually start talking about deporting Irish people, English people, European people who are here illegally, you know, that sort of breaks down the narrative of, well, you're, it's clearly not a racist thing for you. You're deporting everyone who's here illegally. Um, so I think, you know, if, if, if my always pleading people, add that to your narrative, because obviously coronavirus has changed because no one could get into your country really hard. So it's probably 100% illegal immigration is by your border. But prior to coronavirus, the majority of it was visa overstays. And that's majority white people. If you start deporting them, well, who's going to say you're racist then? They'll try and say it, but then you can just put out the figures and kind of go, yeah, guess what? We deported more white people than Hispanic people. Why? Because they're Irish and they're English and they're European and they're Australian and they're here illegally. And we don't care. We're, we're the side of legal immigration. We don't care about your race. You might care about the race, but we don't. We only care about whether you're legal or illegal. If you follow the system, welcome. You're, you come to America, embrace America, pursue your American dream. If you come here illegally, sorry, you know, you, you're going to be deported regardless of where you come from. But you'd be shocked at the answers. You, you know, the one thing I will say this, and this is unpopular, and I apologize if this offends that you were the audience who was listening. The, the sad thing about it is when I say this to people, they kind of go, well, you know, they say, we shouldn't deport the Irish people who are here illegally. Why? What I add so much, Irish people have added so much to society. I'm sorry, I'm Irish. I don't care how much they've added to your society. They're here illegally. It's a simple law question for me. And I want, to, I want, you, to, I want you to, I would love you to start deporting Irish people because this, that, that will counter the narrative. I'm, I, and this is just a personal thing for me. Obviously, you don't base American policies on what the Irish guy wants, but I, I get tired when I hear Irish politicians going to D.C. with the sole intention of getting amnesty for Irish people only. I, I hope that never happens. I hope you deport every single last one of them um, because they broke your law, and that, that, that hurts me. I hope you deport every English person who's illegally. And, it's, again, it's not a race thing for me. It's everyone. But people say that to me and kind of go, well, why would you want that? I want everyone deported who's illegal. It's not a race thing for me. And I think if you share that narrative, you'll be surprised again how many people come to your side because the racist issue goes away. Yeah, it absolutely does. It absolutely does. And as you said, these visa overstays, and people think border towns are only along the coast or along the southern or northern border. No, we've got 50 states. Every single Mm -hmm. state is a border state. If you can fly in here with a visa and then disappear into the fabric of America and stay beyond your visa, you're an illegal alien, period. Yeah. 50 border. Like, I have to leave by a certain time. And, you know, most people say, well, why don't you stay illegally? I have to leave by a certain time. I have 90 days. You know, if I stay 91 or 92 or 95 or 100 or 120 or 140 or 100 or 200 years or 200 days or a year, I'm illegal. I should be deported. 
I've, you know, I, 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 I agreed when I came into this country I would not stay more than 90 days and I will fulfill my oath. And I will leave and then I will try and come back as quickly as I can because I do things above the books. I do everything legal. So that, that's the thing. But most people say, no, you, you know, you shouldn't. You know, you should, you should just overstay your visa. I'm like, no, because then I'm adding to the system. I'm adding to the problem. You, you do things the right way. You make things better and you make things legal for everyone or for, you know, ever how America decides to say this is, what, who, this is who we want as legal immigrants. And that's up for the American people to decide, not for me to say. But, you know, then you decide and then you enforce those laws. And if they need to be amended, you amend them. You need to reduce or you need to increase or you need to change the criteria, do it. But you, you always should always have a system of your country of laws and follow them and follow them. And it doesn't know any age, race, boundary, sexuality, creed, nothing. It's you have a criteria. This is the criteria to get in. You meet it, you get in. You don't. Sorry. But we have the elitist. The elitist say, well, we know better than you. The law is for thee yep. and not for me. So I get to choose mm-hmm. what to uphold and what not. And you don't have a choice. If we say you yep. must be vaccinated or you don't work, then that is what it is. It doesn't matter if it, it's not a law. It's just mm-hmm. uh, something that Biden said. It, there's no executive order. But yet, nope, nope, nope. He's declaring. He's declaring that, yep. oh, if you don't get vaccinated, you don't have a job. Well, who are you to decide how, where, and how I live? That's not the American yep. way. And we have allowed our country nope. to devolve so far. So far, and it's okay. You know, as many illegal aliens, we can let them in, let them in, let them in. But if you were to travel on a plane, you got to show your vaccination passport. You got to fill yep. out a form when you try to come back in. You're an American citizen. It doesn't matter if you have proof that you're an American citizen. You got to fill out all these forms mm-hmm. before you get off the plane, and then you have to go through yep. customs and declare yep. whatever you bring back. But you can come across. Even if the kid's not yours, you can bring some kid over the border just to get yourself over the border, and the customs, uh, the border patrol won't bother you. You can come freely. You can allow the cartels, and we'll help you. We'll bus you any city you want to go. And don't worry about being vaccinated. Don't worry if you've got leprosy, tuberculosis, rubella. It Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. We'll take you in. Oh, but by the way... The hospitals no longer are having their their ERs and ICUs open because they're firing the staff for not getting the vaccination. So medical care, uh, you may or may not get some, but we'll try. We'll we'll, we'll see what we can do. Yeah, but that issue is a slightly different issue for me. Uh, Obviously, it's interlinked, but it's more frustrating. And the saddest thing I've been, I've been here since September 7th, I think was the date I arrived. Um, And I've been here over a month, and this is the second month of my tour. And I've been to many different states, including your wonderful state, speaking for a week. And the saddest thing that happened just on that mandate was, and this has been a sad thing for overall, but the lack of fight. You know, the beauty of America is you have a political power system that fights this structure. If you understand your constitution, the president has no power. There's literally nothing a president can do in the Oval Office without Congress. Um, but the narrative is they're the most powerful person in the world, and this is a narrative that's been sown for the longest period of time. But the saddest thing about that mandate is the answer isn't, you know, I've heard people, you know, come, what's the answer to this? Well, this is why we need a new president in 2024. That would be nice, but it's not what the founders wanted. Well, this is why we need the Republicans to have the House and the Senate in 2022. I say that would be nice, but is it how nice would it be considering 11 Republicans sold the American people out last week to extend the debt ceiling? So Republicans aren't all the, the full solution. But that would be nice, but it's not the solution. The solution is your states. 
the, far, the power your founders gave you, the solution to every problem your founders gave you belongs in the states. And the saddest thing I've seen since that mandate, that mandate is out a month is the lack of fight from the states. The states should stand up. And I'm currently in the great state of Texas. The, I, every governor, every mayor in the country, every state rep, every state senate, they should be passing resolutions. They should be passing special sessions. This should be happening in Texas, Florida, South Carolina, Tennessee, Mississippi, all these Republican, red, conservative states, and saying, you know what, Mr. President, when it comes to our state, it's dead on arrival because we don't recognize your authority. The Constitution says you as a body have no power and that the power belongs to the states. And the states seem to be just accepting this or very casually doing anything. I know, I know they can't file lawsuits because there's no regulation, but I don't see any states actively passing many laws to say there is no mandate in our states. There is no mandate that says you must put a vaccine into your body. And it's so sad to see it, and it's so sad to see how the states have just become so spineless and so weak. But we need to inspire the states to rise up and say, not on our watch. And if people don't, if people like that answer and your state isn't doing it, you need to start voting for people who will stand up and say, whether it's a Republican House or a Republican Senate or a Republican President or a Democratic version of it, when it comes to the power in the Constitution, there's very limited powers D.C. can do. The power belongs to the state and it belongs to the people. And if you want to solve your problems, that's how you do it. That is the first and best and only solution you have. Well, you know, DeSantis has been doing a lot. I know my governor, McMaster's, has been doing a lot. Whether or not he's got through on the vaccine mandate, I do believe he said that he was not going to have a vaccine mandate. Uh, so yeah. I don't know of anyone that's lost their job because they were not vac- vaccinated. I don't know of yeah, anyone, not yet. honestly. Not yet. But not the only state right now is Montana. The only state is, and it's even in federal regulation, I saw this, um, where they said you must have a vaccine unless you're Montana. That's the only state that they have has actually done it. And that's, uh, it's even the federal government that said they can't, that you can't be fired for doing it. But, like, it's been a month. They, I hope people are doing stuff behind the scenes. I really do, because I'm, I'm traveling. I don't get to hear as much news as I'd like, and I don't get to follow each individual state. But, you know, as traveling through the states, I see a lot of, I've heard so many horror stories, especially by Republicans in Republican conservative states, of playing the game and of not doing the right thing and not standing for the people and not standing for the Constitution. It really troubles me. You know, the, the amount of stories I've heard in the last month of Republicans doing bad things, of raising taxes, of violating the Constitution, it makes me want to... I'm always banging my head off a brick wall. I'm kind of like, am I in New York or am I in Texas or am I in South Carolina? John, John... Um I want to let people know that they can find you at freedomsdisciple.com. You have the podcast on The Blaze uh, for that one. And I I do have you scheduled to be here in South Carolina on Monday, correct? On Monday. Yes, ma'am, Monday evening. Can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I'm looking forward to meeting you. So I'll see you soon, and I'll see you at the end of the weekend. And good night, and God bless. God bless you. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Okay, Jonathan Dunn will be at our Tea Party meeting uh, this Monday evening, along with my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. We want to welcome onto the show uh, former trade advisor to President Trump and Newsmax contributor. He's got a new book out, In Trump Time, A Journal of America's uh, Plague Year. Uh, matter of fact, it's being uh, issued on the very day that is really important, on Election Day, Welcome to the show, Peter Navarro. Good afternoon, Peter. How are you today? It's such a delight to be with you. And this In Trump Time book uh, does uh, celebrate and mourn uh, 
the one-year anniversary of uh, November 3rd. And part of the mission of the book is to get to the bottom of what happened on November 3rd, what happened on January 6th, and also what happened in the Wuhan Bioweapons Lab to create this, uh, this virus that, that's still killing Americans. Well, you know, as my grandmother used to say, Anuj, he's a nicer boy. Don't give him a hard time. So I'll be nice. Uh, but no. uh, but um, I, I knew about something going on in the Wuhan province back in September, October of 2019, because I had two friends serving as missionaries over there. And when they sent their messages back here, it was like you had to read between the lines. And come uh, November, December of 2019, I started making my own masks because I noticed there was starting to be shortages on the shelves. And I said, something's going on here. And we were getting whiffs of something coming out of the lab because the police were knocking on their doors and said, well, you're not Chinese, so if you get sick, you can't go to the hospital. We're not going to help you. And that was a shocker when I heard that one. So I knew something was coming out. And it took the WHO to admit something was going on. And unfortunately, it took Fauci a long time to even admit something was going on. But why is that? Lo and behold, he was helping to fund the research. Yes, yes. Yeah, well... Fauci, uh, look, he of, of the villains in the In Trump Time book, Fauci is head and shoulders above just about everybody. Uh, there is so much blood on Tony Fauci's hands. And chapter two of the, uh, of the In Trump Time book begins with me walking into the Situation Room on January 28th. The president has dispatched me there to convince the task force to support his travel ban on China flights into the U.S. And by that time, um, I, like you, uh, had seen very troubling signs, the Wuhan crematoria burning bodies over time. You have uh, intel coming out. There's a deadly virus. And I, I had a kind of a special sense, sense there because 14 years earlier in a book I'd written that China would, I predicted, would what turned out to be a stone-cold accuracy, China would create a global pandemic that would kill millions, right? So I'm walking into the situation room to make that case. I got Mulvaney at one end of the table, he's chief of staff, Pompeo's down my left shoulder, Redfield of the CCC, and Azar across me, and there's this little guy with, with these round little glasses sitting there smiling, smirking, uh, didn't know he was a saint, didn't know he would walk on water. And two minutes in, I'm in a shouting match with this SOB. He's insisting <laughs> that travel bans don't work. And I go, dude, and I call him, dude. I say, dude, it's like, wait a minute, there's 20,000 people coming in a day from China, but many of them infected. They're coming into LA, LAX. They're coming into New York and Newark and Chicago. You're telling me that, that we shouldn't shut them down? And he was just adamant about it. And that, that afternoon I went back and wrote this memo that basically said, hey, if we don't do the travel ban, we're gonna, it's going to cost us trillions and, and millions of people are going to die. Uh, two things. That it, I was able to swing uh, the task force in support. But here's the thing. On that very same day I was having that argument with him, Fauci got an email from, a, from an expert from Scripps who told him flat out that that virus was genetically engineered. And at that point, with that information, Fauci knew that he was likely the cause of the pandemic. 
Why do I say that? Because Fauci knew he had given money and grants directly and indirectly to the Wuhan Bioweapons Lab where that thing came from. And Fauci had gone behind the president's back in 2017 to reauthorize the use of these gain-of-function experiments, which can take a, a benign bat virus and turn it into a human killer. And that SOB, uh, it's all do- documented in the, in, the, in, the, in the Trump time book, and that's just part of his sins. But that SOB, if he just told us right then that this might likely be from the lab, if you told the president and me and the task force, I'll tell you, there are hundreds of thousands of Americans would be alive today and millions more uh, around the world. But he did not, and what he did instead was cover that thing up for months and insist on the lab theory, even as he went out preening on television, dumping all over the president and acting like he knew more than everybody else when everything he said out of his mouth uh, was wrong. So, uh, you know, in Trump time, it, it, I want to take him down. People need to read the book, and by Christmas, which Fauci wants to steal, Fauci needs to be gone. He needs to be up on, on the hill testifying to the evil deeds and then put him in an orange jumpsuit for lying to Congress. That's Tony Fauci, and I hope there's nobody in your audience who still thinks that God, that guy knows anything about science or is an honorable man. Because every time, and I was the only guy, if you remember, I was the only guy inside the White House who took him on. Took a lot of heat for that, but I was right then, and I'm right now. Well, I'm, I'm putting up a, a mime I created, and i gotta, I got to thank my mom for that. Does anyone want a little Italian grandma? I'll give her to you. Anyway, <laughs> my mom had a stroke, so she's now living with me. But she's looking at the TV. We were watching Newsmax, and Garland was up on had his picture was flashing up and she looks at me she goes did you ever notice how much they look alike and i stopped for a second and i quickly hit my laptop and i took a picture of fauci i have it next to uh garland they really do like look at their cousins and i'm thinking that do you remember the patty dukes show the the song that was their theme song they're cousins identical cousins and i put that up with some notes so I've got a mime up there that's up on the screen, which is up on Facebook and YouTube right now and going out to a half a dozen other places of Garland and Fauci with the Patty Duke well, song. Yeah, well, when I think about Fauci, I think more of the picture of Dorian Gray. And uh, you know, what, what Fauci's portrait looks like in the basement, the real, it's, it's, he's like a beast from hell. He, he's right out of the Hieronymus Bosch painting. I, I, and I hope people will read the In Trump Time book. You need to know the truth about this guy. You need to know the truth about communist China. Oh, geez, don't even get me started on that one. Because uh, Gordon Chang is a friend of mine. I've had General Spaulding on over here. Uh, I've had several other people that were experts. I had one gentleman uh, who was a businessman in China that got cho- thrown in a Chinese prison because they wanted to steal his business. He was finally able to get out, and he's back in the United States, and he wrote a great book about China. So I, I, you get me started. Like I said, I had, I had uh, friends that were missionaries over there. And, oh, it, that's a nightmare. That is a nightmare. And then you have foolish people like the NBA that will kowtow to China or Hollywood that kowtows to China because, oh, no, you can't sell anything or get an audience unless you have the Chinese on board. And then they dictate what you can and cannot do. I'll never buy Nike, that's for sure. And when I go into the store, I turn it over to see if it's made in China. Oh, man, and I got my mom a new walker the other day. She get, 
gets it home. She gets it home and she sits down and she's taking all the tags off. And when she lifts one of the tags off, underneath it said "Made in China." She goes, "I would have never bought this if wow. I knew that." Wow. And that's from my 89-year-old mom. <laughs> they, they they try but, to hide it, and good for her. Oh yeah, they do. They do, and it's 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 amazing. But yeah, I did put up that mind, so you know people can look at the uh, video later on <laughs> and get a good laugh. I'm going to put it up. Uh, uh, it's already up on the um, my Instagram page, so they can take a look at it over there. But you know, this was all completely engineered, and no one wants to admit the fact that it has been completely engineered. It was timed to be released just before the election in order to make Trump lose. They wanted people to stay home and not vote. You lock us down, you cover our face, and you cow us. And that's what happened to a lot of people. And I think that's one of the main reasons why the progressive communists were able to steal this election. Well, they stole it. The Democrats stole it. The last third of the uh, In Trump's Time book deals uh, with all the issues of election integrity. And uh, I'm on the side of the more than half of Americans uh, that believe that that election was stolen. The, the only difference between me and most people is I actually have all the data to prove it. And I, I, uh, I spill those beans in the In Trump Time book uh, in, in a large way. There's a great scene where uh, a couple of weeks after the election, I had been waiting for the Trump campaign to kind of belly up to the bar and, and fight the outcome, and they, they didn't do it. And I talk about why in the In Trump Time book. But finally, on Thanksgiving Day, I put my Harvard pants on, went into the White House and began what would be a series of three reports that, that proved beyond any shadow of a doubt that, uh, that Trump won the election in the battleground states of Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Nevada. Um, and now, as, as we get more and more information, uh, we're learning just how true that is. Peter. That's the whole thing. Go ahead, Curtis. This is my co-host, Curtis. Hey, Curtis. Yes, I'm, hey, I, was, I was just wondering why, if there's so much proof out there, why did the Supreme Court and federal judges um, decline to even look at into this evidence. Yeah, well, that's, that's the mystery of mysteries, and uh, I think it's important to point out that, just as you said, they didn't look at the evidence. They, they basically ruled on procedure and standing rather than the evidence itself. Like, look, I, there's a conservative court there, but I've never been, um, I've never been a Kavanaugh fan. I don't think Amy Bar- uh, Coney Barrett is... Uh, is really uh, a conservative in, in the Trump populist economic sense. She, she's a social conservative. Um, but you had three justices on the Supreme Court led by Thomas who were adamant about uh, hearing the cases. Uh, but look, I mean, Donald Trump um, has won the hearts and minds of the people of America, the deplorables, the blue collar. But there's just you know, he's got the Democrats against him, but there's also the, the rhino globalist Mitch McConnell corporate uh, media corporate titans Republicans who uh, just don't want him around. The, that, that, that wing of the Republican Party loves to offshore jobs, 
um, so, so they get the slave labor and um, they get the pollution havens. And look what we got now, right? We got supply chain problems because all our jobs went offshore. Um, so I, I think when people, I, I describe in Trump time as, a, as both a book of indictments, you know, Fauci, the Communist Party, uh, Pence betrayal, uh, but it's also a book of revelations. And, and we will get to the bottom. We need to get to the bottom of November 3rd. We need full forensic audits. We, we, there will be a big reveal about what actually happened on January 6th and why the narrative is so wrong on that. And, of course, this Wuhan bioweapons lab in China, by my calculation in the In Trump Time book, owes us over $20 trillion and counting. So um, we need to get these messages out, and I'm hoping that the In Trump Time book will, uh, will be an important weapon that um, the, the Trump movement can use to take back the House and take back the White House. Well, people can pre-order the book. As a matter of fact, I did. I got the Kindle version. <laughs> but uh, they can get the hard copy or the Kindle version by going to Amazon. Uh, yeah, Barnes & Noble does not have a graphic of your book on the, on there, but it is listed also on Barnes & Noble. And I noticed a couple of other outlets that did oh, have it coming out on November 2nd. Yeah, so because I'm, I'm still technically challenged, I haven't been able to do the video in of... of interviews i'm working on that so instead i have graphics up on here so it does go broadcasting out the video with you and the book next to you so people can take a look and uh, go and get it yes. as well as a link on the show page so they can click on your name it'll take them directly to your web page which is your name peter com, and they can click on the name of the book and it will take them directly to the amazon location where you can buy the book i'm here to help I mean, I have no eagle. If I can You're help great. someone, well, I'll help I just, someone. I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this uh, in real time. I just checked Barnes & Noble. They do have the cover there. It actually says it's a bestseller there. And, uh, oh, it wasn't there yesterday. Uh, just about it. Just, well, they heard you. You must have uh, sent them a, <laughs> a, a thought, thought wave, and they, they like the top 100 and stuff like that. So that's not a bad thing. <laughs> And uh, no, by the way, no, I'm going to have the audio version up soon. And the fun part about the audio version is a little breaking news. It's like, do you ever listen to audio books? Is that, do you like those things? Uh, I've listened to one or two. It's just I don't have the time. I'd rather sit down, you know, yeah, well, if I have it on my smart device, uh, where am I sitting at the doctor's up? You just read it quick. Here's the point. Uh, I actually use um, other voices that appear in the book, and it's kind of fun. It's kind of like an ensemble cast, like Corey Lewandowski has an extended uh, uh, read in the book. Um, the boss has a cameo, um, Victor Davis Hanson, and, um, and some other stuff. So it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an innovation in the, uh, in the audio recording space. So hopefully I'll get that up soon. It took me a while to get that thing recorded, but uh, it should be up in a week or so. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Now, I do remember you telling a story that you went over to China and you weren't feeling too well at one point. Uh, right? Were you talking during the administration? No, yeah. I don't remember yes. that one. Uh, uh, well, I was listening to one of the no, interviews. You know, I think you were... You were with Rahim, I believe, when you told him that you were there with some trade delegation and the Chinese had 
place people directly next to you and you just didn't feel completely right? Uh, I'm teasing you. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're, you're maybe I, look. It's, I think that what we're referring to is that that scene in the uh, East Wing I told you about. So so in the I'm going the East Wing on January 15th, and I'm sitting in a cold sweat in the audience uh, with the Chinese diplomats on stage, wondering if they were infected and wondering whether they might infect the president, wondering whether the virus um, was That's it. was a bioweapon. Yeah, that was yeah, it. Yeah. That's that the chapter it. one. I, I, I call, the, call the the red. Yeah, they call it the red wedding chapter, right? Because it, it starts off the book with the Chinese coming to town, and I'm sitting in the audience wondering whether this was the next Pearl Harbor and Chernobyl all rolled up into one one attack. So you know, I was in a cold, nervous sweat because of my fears about what was about to come, and uh, I think I was uh, I was pretty right about that. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, not only that, because you said that uh, Fauci had gotten a text, so he knew that it was engineered, but it was publicly yes. announced by a French uh, Nobel Peace Prize winner who actually took the virus, broke it down, and identified the splicing of the AIDS virus into it, which allows it to attack humans. And then there's also another gentleman, an American scientist, he's had several articles up on the Epic Times where he did the same thing and proved that it was manufactured and the AIDS virus was spliced into it. Uh, but Fauci's not going to admit that. No one's going to admit that. Well, after people read in Trump time, Fauci's going to have to confess to a lot of crimes because I've got all the evidence. There's nowhere to run. Nowhere to hide. I was there. I saw him, looked him in the eye, saw him lie by uh, commission and omission. And um, everybody listening to this show, if there's anybody out there who still thinks that guy's an honorable man who can help you, um, read in Trump time. And um, by the time you get to the middle of that book, you'll be convinced otherwise. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, National Geographic did a documentary on him. And you know what? It was reviewed, and the uh, reviewers gave it a 91%, but the audience gave it 2%. 2%. Oh, is that right? Is that right? The audience gave it 2%, but the the, the, the tomato site. I'm going to have to look that up. (laughs) You didn't know that National Geographic did a... A documentary where he actually on cue cries on film. I saw just a couple of little clips of it, and I'm like, "Oh no, oh no!" So I, I didn't know, I know if you knew about this crying, or not. The reason why he was crying was he was reliving that uh, first pitch he threw out in the World Series. Oh. There, uh, did you ever see that? That was the yes. most pathetic spectacle I ever seen. I admit to being like quite envious of him when I when it was announced that he was going to have to do that because it's like I'm a I'm an old baseball fan. My kid played baseball and all that, and I'm going, God, all the crap he's done to Americans, and he gets to do that. But then when I saw him throw that pitch, it was like Schadenfreude. It was like a beautiful. <laughs> I saw uh, that, and my. My husband was still alive at the time, and he, he's looking at that. And he goes, you know, Ann, 
you've, your shoulder has been replaced twice, and I think you can throw a ball better than he did. You can be better. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> I, saw, I saw Fauci like two days later and, uh, and, and um, kind of ribbed him about it, and he was like telling me how the day before he'd gone out to practice and threw it so much he had a sore yeah, right. arm and whining and this, that, and yeah. the other thing. I'm uh-huh. going, yeah, Tony, you just, uh-huh. you just suck. Yeah. <laughs> I know no I know a bridge in, in Brooklyn. Yeah. I know a bridge yeah, in Brooklyn yeah. and I'd be happy to sell you. So this is not your only yeah. book. You've written numerous other books. You're centering on China, on the problems that we're having with it, the coming wars that we can anticipate. And with such a weak president, China's starting to make its advance. They've spent years building those little islands so they can hopscotch to wherever they want to go. They've already been rattling the saber over Taiwan, and our president, our current president, is not doing anything. And now I still believe that they're behind the engineering of all this, these vessels sitting outside of the harbors in uh, California and New York not being unloaded. You know, they unleashed the virus on us, so now businesses were closing down because we were in lockdown. So the cargo remained on the piers, not being unloaded. And now we've got the vessels that can't unload because the cargo cannot be taken out of the containers because now there's no trucks on the road because the businesses have closed. It has been one thing after another. And I think this is all part of the original idea behind China. They don't think just one step at a time. They put out the whole chessboard and know exactly where they're going to be going before the end of the game. Well, the more we see China improve its position relative to us since the pandemic was unleashed, uh, the more it's easy to believe that this was a bioweapon that was intentionally designed to attack America. One of the things in the In Trump Time book um, that I talk about, and it's one of the things that uh, got away from me, I'll be honest with you, in the administration, uh, I wanted to form a presidential commission by executive order uh, that would uh, have looked into the origins of the virus, where it came from, the cost they imposed upon us, and whether China was using it as a strategic weapon. And I got I got very close uh, to having that executive order signed by the president, but ultimately it was some of the bad guys inside the West Wing uh, that got in the way of that. But that's an idea. Look, we've done presidential commissions the Kennedy assassination for Pearl Harbor, uh, for the BP oil spill. We damn well ought to do one for this virus um, instead of this, uh, this uh, insurrection, uh, yet another kind of hoax they're perpetuating in the sense that um, they're not admitting uh, things like what was the role of the FBI in that, uh, why did not they not arrest certain people. There's an untold story there. On January 6th, and that's part of what I'll talk about in Trump time as well. Well, that's Peter. another thing. I was getting, I was getting little tom toms that while we were hearing that Antifa was planting vehicles around the Capitol, deliberately around the Capitol, with weapons and other things in there, and they were had yeah. clothing stockpiled. There's video of some of them changing out of Trump attire. At, at the, in the parking yep. lots. So I was hearing about this days before the January 6th rally, and I just was saying, oh, please don't do something stupid. And all you have to do is just start yep. prodding the crowd 
and next thing you know, you've got a herd mentality. And they knew exactly what they were doing. So this was instigated by not patriots. They were just stupid enough to follow. So we've got to find out who criminally um, started this. Yes, I agree with that. And in the In Trump Time book, the last chapter uh, talks about uh, that day. Um, I, I happened to be on the mall that day, uh, mingling with with the uh, with the folks, and um, it didn't look like uh, the Trump folks were going to be causing any trouble. Which leads me to believe that uh, there were uh, instigators and perpetrators. Agitators. And, uh, Agitators, yeah. I mean, you could see that um, that the uh, Capitol Hill police themselves, which did not barricade the area well at all, helped facilitate the, the entry simply by pulling away what, what few barriers they had. It was like uh, like very curious unless they were instructed to uh, allow these people to uh, penetrate the perimeter. And, of course, the, you know, there's this fascinating story about uh, how the uh, attempted kidnapping of uh, Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, turns out that <laughs> over half of the people involved were FBI informants, okay? And, and mm-hmm. we had a similar situation um, on January 6th. So what, what does that tell you? It tells you, tells you there's more to this story uh, than meets the eye. Yeah, there is. Curtis, you want to ask a question? Yeah, yeah it, it had to do with the coronavirus. Back in uh, yes, uh, November, late November of 2019, I came down ill with something, and it was just something I couldn't shake for about a week. You know, being a guy, we you know we try to tough it out. So I went to the, the VA hospital. They told me I had pneumonia. They gave me eight days' worth of um, pills, antibiotics, and I still wasn't all that well, but eventually I had to come out of it. And then it wasn't until, like, two months later, January, we started hearing about this virus. So I'm thinking, you know, what if I actually had that at that time? Because I had pneumonia before, but nothing like this. And I really believe that... um, this virus, or whatever you want to call it, was present way back in, in November of 2019. And on top of that, I had been talking to a, a friend of mine, a prominent friend of mine, who had just returned from a trip from China. So uh, I've heard many, many stories like this. Um, based on what you told me, I would say that there's greater than a 50-50 chance you had the virus. Uh, I guess the question I had: do you, Have you ever gone and, and had an antibody test? No. Did and you I mean, I've been trying since then. I've been no. I didn't take the vaccine. No, no, If you haven't taken the vaccine, if you have not taken the vaccine, um, go get go get an antibodies test and see if you've got those antibodies present. That's the best way to to tell, tell whether you had COVID. And um, it'll also give you some more information about whether, you know, about the vaccination choice. It's like this whole vaccination thing, it's like you know, I was I, in, in the In Trump Time book, there's a whole chapter on how I helped the president get that ball rolling. 
But um, so I'm not anti-vax, but the the rational strategy for that vaccination is to have it be administered only to people who need it, and that would be the um, the elderly, elderly, where the mortality rate rises dramatically, and people with comorbidities. If you're like uh, if you're Kyrie Irving, Ir- Irving playing for the New York Nets or Cole Beasley for the Buffalo Bills, these guys have had the virus. They say, hey. I've got antibodies 20 times more stronger than, than the vaccine. Why do I want to risk heart disease by taking that thing? And, and you know, you should never give it to children unless the children, a child has a serious illness. So, yeah, go get, some, go get an antibodies test. See what you got. Yeah, because um, I took my mom to the doctor and the cardiologist, I, and I spoke to my doctor and the cardiologist, and we sat down and we discussed it. And... When they went over everything that's going on between the two of us, they said, don't. Even though my doctor had the virus. And he, he had to close his uh, practice down for two weeks. But because of certain medical conditions I have, I am at risk if I, any of those side effects hit me. I mean, my own sister had the, the virus. And even after she had the virus, she goes, I'm going to get the vaccine. I'm like, you're going to make yourself sick again. And sure enough, she got Really sick yeah. right after that. Well, Peter, yeah. people can find yeah. you on your website, which is your name, Peter Navarro, PeterNavarro.com. And there's a link to the book, In Trump Time, A Journal of America's Plague Year. God bless you, Peter, for this. And my grandmother says, hey, and, he's a nice boy. <laughs> and, and back to you. Bless you and uh, enjoy, uh, enjoy the day. This, this book, In Trump Time, if we can get everybody to read that thing, Fauci will be gone by Christmas, and that'll be the best holiday present we'll get. Absolutely, All right. absolutely. All right, Peter Navarro, thank you, and we welcome you back anytime. All right, thanks so much. You take care. All right, bye bye. All right, oh man. All right, so we got our next victim up in the studio. It's his bi-monthly visit, and we missed him last time. We had someone else, but he's back. Mark Tapscott of the Epic Times and also founder of Hill Faith. Good afternoon, Mark. How are you today? Well, how are you guys? I am here. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and full of cheer. And full of cheer. Oh, my goodness. i got to find my notes for you now. Ah, that was so much fun talking to Peter Navarro. Oh, man. Oh, man. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is Joe Biden's anti-American energy policies. Can anyone be any dumber than this man? I had a, a former congressman once tell me he was the dumbest man in the Senate. But they keep electing well, him. Well, I, I, I can't say that he's the dumbest, though I can say that he probably had a lot of competition for that in any case. Um <laughs> Biden's Biden's energy policy, I'll tell you, um, I think you characterized it uh, pretty accurately because on the one hand, he is doing everything that he can to throttle the um, petroleum industry, um, the fossil fuel-based energy that we all depend upon, while at the same time he's um, encouraging the, and making it possible for the Russians to build a natural gas pipeline that they've wanted to put to Europe for decades, he's making that possible. So 
you know, here is a classic illustration of what Ronald Reagan described as with the government, the left hand often does not know what the far left hand is doing. <laughs> it doesn't. I mean, President Trump had gotten us energy independent. Gas prices had dropped. Here in South Carolina, they were down. I, I was filling up the gas, uh, the car at $1.69 a gallon. And now I'm going around and it's $3 and more in many places. It's increased 100% in nine months. I've never yep. seen, I mean, even Jimmy Carter was not this bad. And yeah. that was gas lines. And, and the thing of it is, with energy prices, um, you know, you see it most immediately when you go to the station and fill up your car or your truck. But you also feel the effects of it in the increased prices of everything else that requires yes. energy to be produced, delivered, and used. And so consequently, yes. if you increase the price of energy, you're increasing the cost of living across the board. Exactly. And now the only way we're transporting it in, because he shut down so many of these pipelines, by vessel. And what's sitting outside all the harbors in L.A. and New York? The vessels that probably have the fuel in it. How many tankers are sitting out there along with those cargo containers? That's a good oh, there's, question. There, there's dozens of them, and there's, at least my understanding at the last count, just in the Los Angeles port, there are about a million uh, of those, you know, big colorful crates that they, shipping crates, that they stack on the ships. There's about a million of those sitting you know, unused and undelivered because they don't have enough trucks to um, to pick them up and take them where they need to go. And why is that? Well, a major reason for that is because California's environmental regulations effectively forced all of the independent truck owners and drivers, and they make up about 40% of all of them um, that are available. They have to update... Uh, their equipment. They can't have any equipment that is older than 2011. And when they replace their equipment, they have to start moving towards buying electric vehicles, electric semis that don't exist. So you consequently have lots of independent truck owner drivers going out of business. And guess what? When they go out of business, the stuff in the shipping crates at the port, stack up undelivered. And the ships that are in in there waiting to deliver have no place to put it because they're not going to go back empty. They're, they're going to take the right. empty containers back so they can refill them back in China. But you can't empty them on the dock because there's no there's no uh, staff, what do you call it, workers, and there's no truckers to transport. Yep. So you're at a complete stalemate. But God bless Governor Ron DeSantis, and he's opening up Florida and saying, bring your vessels here. We'll get them unloaded. We'll get everything shipped out where it needs to go. We'll give you the things back so you can go back around the long way to China. Yeah, but you'll get your goods delivered here. He's he's doing what I wrote to my governor about just earlier this week. I think it was like Monday or Tuesday. I'm reading the paper about all these vessels stuck in the harbor. This is why we've got 27 states with Republican governors. So 
between the 27th, if you're a port, open up your state to the vessels. If you're an inner one, send your workers and your truckers over here to help us unload this and then transport it. Get all 27 to start working together. They did it down in Texas with the the border. Why aren't you doing it now with the infrastructure that we have sitting on the docks? Well, I'll tell you, Ann, that, that, that is a very logical question, and I'm sure it would be an immense logistical challenge to do that. But I don't have any doubt that, um, you know, um, if we decided, if, if we collectively decided we have to do that, um, we would find a way to get it done. That's, that's what Americans do. We find a way that's to right. get it done. We went to the moon. We went to yeah. the moon. We should, <laughs> that's we right, should be able to move some products. Some Absolutely. If we can get it to the moon, why can't we get it from Los Angeles to Chicago or to uh, South Carolina or Washington, D.C.? And if you need to move it out of, Cal- South, uh, out, of, out of California, use the National Guard. They got the mm-hmm. equipment to do this, too. Get, the, get it over the border, and then from there you can have independent truckers pick up and start distributing it. But just get it over the yeah. border. And if you yeah. need anyone else for the logistics, state by state, use the National Guard. That's one of the things they're trained at, moving things. And yeah. we can do, Because right now, in the Epic Times, there's an article by Christopher Burroughs that the wholesale prices rose a record 8.6% over the last year. In nine months, this president has taken apart, actually now it's going on 10 months, has taken apart our economy, our defenses. And our sanity, in just 10 months, he has actually destroyed this nation, and we're on the brink of just hitting no point of no return. 8.6%? I know things were expensive under Jimmy Carter, but I didn't think it was this bad. Well, I'll tell you, I I vividly remember um, the days of Jimmy Carter because um, I bought my first house, uh, got my first mortgage when Carter was in the White House, and the interest rate that I had to pay on it was 11%. Uh, you don't forget that kind of thing. Um, but we are headed for something much worse than that if things don't change pretty quickly. Yeah, because uh, under Jimmy Carter, I had my first business, and I took out a loan. And I think at that point, my loan, my business loan, was at 12%. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know... Uh, Biden says that they're going to start operating 24-7, seven days a week to start unloading the cargo that's on the docks. Um, Isn't California a union state? Um, I don't think the unions are going to let him do that, will they? Well, they're not not exactly cooperating, but even if they were, here's the other problem that uh, is right in the middle of the supply chain. Uh, crisis, and that's the vaccine mandates. Literally thousands of people are either being fired or they're voluntarily leaving their job because they will not submit to having to take the vaccine. Uh, you know, I got the vaccine, and, uh, you know, that's I, I, anybody that gets it, that's fine. That's their choice. But anybody who decides for whatever reason they do not want it, we have to equally respect that. But instead, what we're doing is we're saying to people who do not want to get the vaccine, 
well, you know, you're the reason why we have all these problems, therefore you are evil. That's, that's a prescription for uh, destroying civil society. And they are going to have to back off of these um, deadlines on the mandates because if they don't, there's not going to be enough people to keep things going. This, this is really a serious situation that's developing. It is, and already we're seeing the segregation of the vaxxed and the unvaxxed. Um, yep. What was it? Uh, was it baseball that had one half the station of those stadium for those vaxxed and the other half for those unvaxxed? Uh, you're splitting families. What happens if you know dad's vaxxed, mom's not? The kids are not. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? You can split up the family. You have restaurants that won't let you go in unless you're vaccinated. Uh, you can't go to the mm-hmm. gym unless you're vaccinated. You know, it is. It, this is another form of Jim Crow. But it's it is. now between That's the exactly vaxxed and the unvaxxed. Mm-hmm. Right, what's going to be next? You can't go in to vote unless you're vaccinated? That's, I'm, I'm guaranteeing someone's going to try to pull that, especially in the 2022 elections. Someone's going to try to yeah. pull that. So, you know. Yeah, and we're seeing. It is. Go ahead, Ann. We're seeing a new form of cancel culture. You don't wear the mask, yeah. you're bad. If you don't get vaccinated, you're you're evil. Yeah, how dare you fight for your freedoms? I mean, you had was it a twelve-year-old high school girl that got arrested because she would not wear the mask, and she formed a protest against the mask, so half the school didn't wear the mask. But the only person arrested is this one girl. You've got to be crazy, arresting her for not wearing a mask. Yeah. Is this you know, what if, we've if, come to? One, one, of the, one of the positive things that is coming out of this, though, is um, it is bringing out a lot of people uh, who otherwise previously would not have paid you know, any attention at all to um, politics and government and public policy. Now they don't have any choice. They have to pay attention to it because their their livelihood is at stake. And when they realize that, they're not happy about it. And a lot of them are saying, wait a minute, I'm not going to do this. And you can't make me do it. And as soon as they get a chance to vote out the people in government who are making them do it, uh, I really think they will. I think November 22 is going to be uh, an historic uh, earthquake of an election, and it's going to really put a bunch of Democrats um, out of office. Well, people have to remember, November 2nd this year is an off-year election, and people better mm-hmm. pay attention to that because that is the time they slip things on the ballot that you normally would not be looking for or expecting and they trying this in my county and we're up in arms so we're rallying cry that get people out to vote this november 2nd there are also some seats up in the house it's in an off year election it's not just on the even number of years so people got to pay attention so it, the revolution starts this year november 2nd at the ballot and I'm, I'm telling anyone and everyone in the sound of my voice, get off your Archie Bunker chair, get out that door, and vote. Yeah. yeah cause and help your neighbors do the same thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
you know, because with yeah. what is going on under this administration, gas has risen 42.1%. And this was an article, again, in the Epic Times by Jack Phillips about the prices that are surging. So, as I said, here in my town, I've seen it r- rise 100%. It's more than double than what it was before Trump left office. Most of the teeth and backwards, meat, poultry, fish, and eggs is up 10%. Propane, kerosene, yep. and firewood, 27.6. Fuel oil, 42.6. Heating your house is going to go really, really high, really high. It's going to double. Especially if it's going to double, yeah. Now, do you remember, I use, do you remember Anne, do you remember, yeah. Anne, under, under Carter, the natural gas crisis in the Midwest in the winter, we had an unusually cold winter. He had um, restricted the supplies of natural gas. And there were literally people in Ohio and Pennsylvania and Illinois and Indiana in that region of the country uh, who couldn't get natural gas to heat their homes. And it was 10 degrees outside. We're going to see that again, too. Yeah. Now, my house is heated by electricity. But... You still need these other things to create the electricity. You know, so electricity right now is up 5.2%, but it's going to jump. It's going to jump. Bacon yeah. and similar products, 19.3. Uncooked beef steaks, 22.1. Now, that's funny because a cooked beef steak is not as high, but an uncooked one is higher. So, you know, used cars and trucks, 24.4%. You know, rental cars, 42.9. I had to rent a car recently because someone decided to uh, put a nice dent in mine in the parking lot, and I was surprised how much that car cost. It was almost double mm-hmm. what I am accustomed to pay. So, yeah. Yep. So all yep. these things are going to be going up across the board. Everything is going up. And then, of course, you have a county council like mine that wants to pass an additional sales tax at the same time. You've got to be nuts. Yeah. Got to be nuts. The um, the used car prices, that actually started, um, the increase began months ago. That was one of the leading indicators of the inflation that we are seeing now. Um, I get letters, I get phone calls, I get emails from the dealer that I bought my four-year-old pickup from saying, we want your used pickup. We'll pay you what you paid us for it. I mean, it's the, the prices that are being paid for used vehicles now is, is amazing. And, and what causes that process is the lack of new vehicles because they can't get the computer chips that are required to um, uh, let the cars and the trucks operate. So that puts oh, more demand in the for cargo used stuff. They're sitting in the cargo exactly. containers in Long Beach, L.A., and New York, or they're sitting in the, the cargo vessels out in the harbor in Long Beach, L.A., and New York. So unless we it. get this cargo moving, America comes to a dead halt. And yep. I, I need my roof done because I've got some leaks. I can't even get the roofing tiles. I cannot get the shingles. And he goes, no matter what color, I, I have no shingles, and this guy's a roofing guy. If he has nothing wow. to work with, how is he going to repair my roof? And I, I had 
something uh, framed. I had this nice poster in memory of my husband when we had his service, and I didn't want to take it, tear it apart. So I said, I'm going to frame it. I'm just going to hang it in my hallway so I see him every time I head back and forth to bed. And he goes, the frames are in back order. They're sitting in the ships outside in L.A. Even something as simple as picture frames. I needed to buy a new pair of shoes because I broke mine coming home from church. I said, I need a new pair of church shoes. I go into the store, and I see boots. I see sneakers. But women's shoes? I couldn't find. I had to go to two different stores before I found a decent pair of shoes to buy. This is, this is our economy coming to a dead still. Much less. Mark, when was the last time you walked into a grocery store? Uh, a couple of days ago, actually, and there were empty shelves. Yeah, of some of the craziest Empty items. shelves in I, a grocery store. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, I ended up with an infestation of what is known as a flower beetle. Somehow or other, it got it came in. I think it came in in a bad sack of flour, and it started to go and traveled to my rice, to my oatmeal, and all of a sudden I'm throwing stuff out. I must have thrown out a couple hundred dollars worth of food, and I go to replace mm. it, and I'm looking for a bag of rice, and I finally find one bag of rice. Fortunately, it was one I liked, but I mean the shelves just something like rice. Yeah, I mean, it, basic yep. food staples are starting to disappear, and yeah, and it's not—it's not because—it's—it's it's not because they aren't being grown. It's not because they aren't being processed. It's because they can't be delivered. There we are again with the supply chain problem. Exactly, exactly, and I think I am going to get a hold of the my governor again because I had, like I said, back on Monday or so. I had sent him an email saying, this is my idea. If you need help with logistics, call up the National Guard. But open up our ports and get this stuff here and deliver it. DeSantis is doing it. Why can't the rest of these governors get together and create their own supply chain? I'm calling on I them suspect, today, here today. Guys. I suspect that if the governors of um, South Carolina, Florida, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Texas, and yeah, and Texas got together. The uh, a major part of the um, the supply chain problem could be taken care of pretty quickly. It would be more expensive yeah. than unloading in California, but at least it would be unloaded and available. Exactly. Exactly. And that was my idea. I mean, what's up in New York, coming down the coastline into South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, can come around Florida and then come into the Gulf and be unloaded there. You know, there are answers to this. American ingenuity can, ingenuity can do this. And I'm calling on them openly to get off their thrones and work together and get this country moving again. Do what our founding fathers wanted to do. Get the states to take responsibility, not the White House. I mean, right now, what we're seeing is now they've, they've actually also lifted the debt ceiling. They're, they're having a – what is this? The, I'm looking at an the article by Joseph Lord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, 
now they have two options of trying to put these bills out there to remove or reform the debt ceiling. One is to abolish it altogether, and the one that seems to be gaining steam is option B, to give the Treasury Secretary power to raise the debt limit. You know why they're thinking about doing that? The the reason they are thinking, the reason they are thinking in Congress of the possibility of giving the Secretary of the Treasury that kind of authority is that would take the responsibility for making the decision out of the hands of Congress and put it over in the executive branch with the Secretary of Treasury. And that is exactly what Congress has been doing for decades, giving up its own authority, the authority that the founders gave Congress in the Constitution as the first branch, the most representative part of our government. They've been handing it away, giving it away, and then we wonder why we have bureaucrats making all of the decisions about how our lives are going to be run. Congress has got to make up its mind, is it going to be a Congress or not? If it's not, they need to tell us that. Yeah. <laughs> Most people don't even pay attention to what's going on, but I think this fight over the debt ceiling, this fight over the infrastructure bill and over the new budget, I think the American people are starting to pay attention and say, wait a minute, we've been asleep here. You know, it's time we wake up, especially with this president in place. So we've got to pay attention to what's going on. Matter of fact, my own Tea Party, along with two other GOP, uh, county GOPs up here, uh, Aiken and York, have issued a censure against Senator Lindsey Graham for voting for the infrastructure bill. And Uh people were shocked that... No, it's it's time we turn around and tell Lindsey Graham you're screwed up big time, and right now yep. my county GOP is talking it over about doing the same thing too, and I walked into the store yesterday and look at the newsstand and I'm on the front page because they printed the article about me censoring Lindsey Graham, so we we've got to take our government back. We've got to take action. Well, it is our government. We are the people, and it is time for Congress to represent us. Yeah. But you know how bad it is when you have someone like Van Jones saying that the president looks like he stepped on a rake or fell down the stairs, and he told the fellow Democrats, we're looking over the cliff. You're about ready to go over the cliff. When you have someone like Van Jones saying, whoa, you guys are going too far, we know we're in trouble. Well, they know they're in trouble. That's that's the point. They see the polls and the fact that Glenn Youngkin, the Republican running for governor in Virginia, uh, has now pulled slightly ahead of uh, McAuliffe is an indication, I think, that uh, he is going to win the governor's race in Virginia, even though even though McAuliffe has uh, Obama coming in to uh, campaign for him. I think Youngkin is still going to win. That's going to be a big, big deal, a big signal uh, to the Democrats that they, as as um, Dan Jones said, they've gone too far. Yeah, they have. And when um, when you have the chant of, I'll be polite, let's go, Brandon, coming up in yes. 
races in in football games in other sports arenas, and you hear the you know F Biden <laughs> being hurled out there. Uh, the American people are getting pissed. And I think, as I said, this November 2nd is an important election. Look at Virginia alone. That in itself. And Virginia is mostly red. It's just the cities that pull it into the purple and blue. But yeah. we get the people from the urban, from the suburban areas, the rural areas, out in mass, you can overflow and overcome those urban areas. So, like I said, I'm telling, shouting it from the rooftops. This election, November second, is important. Mm-hmm. I mean, the you got the challenge. White House. Yeah, it is. Go ahead. You have the White House. White House is now taunting Texas and Florida for fighting the vaccine mandates. He wants to override state laws. Um, don't you think it's about time we start impeaching this president? Well, the Supreme Court told him a couple of weeks ago that he could not stop enforcing the Trump law to send illegal immigrants back to Mexico, but he's still not doing that. So we have a constitutional crisis coming. Either the president is subject to the law like the rest of us are, or he's a dictator. And right now it looks like Joe thinks he can do pretty much whatever he wants. Yeah, it looks like that. And somehow or other, we've got to put the brakes on him. And doing an impeachment, I think, is just about the time coming. Because if he does this to Texas and to um, Florida, what else is he going to do to the rest of the states? You know, he's already saying that, you know, I'm just going to override your laws. They don't matter. They don't matter in the least bit. Yeah. I I was looking for the next thing. But... You're only with us for half an hour, and I've got uh, my guy from Heritage, Jonathan Butcher, in on the studio. So, Mark, people can find you at the Epic Times, um, and, you know, I'll see you in two weeks. You got it, man. Thanks a lot. Curtis, hope you're doing well. All right. God bless, Mark. I'll talk to you soon. I am. Take care. All righty. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Check out Mark Tapp's. Tapscott over at the Epic Times. We have our final victim in the batter's box. Welcoming back to the show, Jonathan Butcher. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I am having a blast today, ripping apart this administration. Holy cow, my head is spinning. (laughs) It's actually spinning. But, you know, we have uh, little congratulations uh, going on over at Heritage. You've got a new president. Thank you. Yes, we're thrilled to learn uh, that Kevin Roberts will be uh, the president now, and, and I you know, worked with him a bit when he was at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, and, and just thrilled to see him uh, uh, come, to, uh, come to Heritage. We're just so excited for the future. Wow, I look forward to seeing what happens, because oh, good things always come out of Heritage. I've never seen anything bad. Um, you're the Will Skillman Fellow in Education at Heritage, so I've got a bunch of stuff to talk to you about. Let's start off with um, Joe Biden, the DOJ, uh, the FBI, critical race theory, and parents versus school board. I mean, school board versus parents, get that correct. Are we a communist nation? Are they crazy? When, when did we lose our First Amendment right? or our ability to determine what our government does? 
I mean, there's a lot going on here, and I don't know that the administration really was able to forecast just what uh, a hornet's nest that they've kicked up. I mean, it started with a special interest group called the National School Boards Association, which is effectively a teacher union for school board members, right? You use district money to pay to be a member for the, uh, the NSBA, and they are a, a progressive organization that has all many of the same goals that unions do. So more funding for public schools. They are uh, opposed school choice in any form. They are uh, very active in promoting critical race theories, racial prejudice, and bigotry. Um, they have done that through a program they uh, just started in the past few years, in fact, uh, that is promoting these ideas in schools. So this school board association issued a letter, and wouldn't you know, but just days later, out of the blue, the Attorney General uh, issues a memo saying that the FBI has 30, 30 days to come together with uh, other state enforcement agencies and come up with a plan to stop parents from uh, uh, voicing their opinions at school board meetings. I mean, it's just, it's just remarkable. I mean, it, to, to think that um, there was no uh, sort of cooperation here between the White House and this interest group would be, you know, is to, to, it, to think that people wouldn't see through this is, is simply nonsense. And then it turns out that the School Board Association listed some examples of what they said were incidents of violence that would raise to the level of federal investigation, and none of them do. I mean, and, uh, attorneys and others have looked at the examples that the School Board Association used. None of them would rise to the level of uh, a federal investigation. And they happen to list one particular example of the father of a teenager who was actually sexually assaulted in a public school, and there was uh, little to no investigation of that. So, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of pieces here that I, I think the administration really kind of uh, just, just tripped, you know, over itself and uh, has well, stirred up a whole, a whole nest of problems. Well, I've put my mom back up on the video. Uh, I, my mom turned around and said something to me, and I said, I never thought of it that way. I, it's a Merrick Garland side by side with Fauci and how much they look like cousins. And all of a sudden, the Patty Duke song, Cousins, Identical Cousins, I have that over the picture. So you, coming out of this administration, you know, it's like it's an incestuous relationship. Um, but Merrick Garland had a reason for doing what he's doing because his son-in-law owns an education company, but lo and behold, pushes uh, textbooks for critical race theory, which is going through this school board federation organization to our public schools. Gee, don't you think there's a financial reason why Merrick Garland did that? I mean, it adds drama to the whole scenario. To the whole scenario, and uh, I just think that it's um, people should now learn what the National School Boards Association is, what it does, where their money comes from, and not miss the very important point here that shortly after the School Board Association sent their letter to the White House asking them to use quote extraordinary measures end quote to essentially intimidate parents from speaking at school board meetings, state boards of education, so the members of this membership association, okay, like the Florida State School Board, 
um, the uh, uh, Louisiana State School Board, uh, a variety of these across the country, issued statements saying that they were not consulted when the National Association released its uh, letter, and they don't agree. So uh, there's some combination of that. And there was an announcement today that the Pennsylvania State School Board is actually withdrawing its membership from the National School Board Association. So, you know, once again, I, I think that there was an, a complete and utter not only misjudgment of what school boards actually think and what educators actually think about critical race theory and school board meetings, um, along with, um, you know, obviously this um, festering sore of the, the uh, victimization culture that's being promoted by uh, this administration through the acceptance of critical ideas. You know, I've, I've gone head-to-head with the school board a couple of times recently, in the last couple of meetings. And the arrogance that I saw in that video of the father, the way he was being treated, and then the stupid questions the school boards were asking the superintendent, who should be arrested for failing by aiding and abetting the crimes because that student was transferred, as I understand, to another school within the district where he went again and sexually assaulted another young girl. And same, same person on both complaints, according to the, the uh, newspaper that uh, researched this. But you can't release it because he's also a juvenile. But this superintendent allowed him to be transferred where he did this again. He claimed to be transgender, was wearing a shirt, was in the female locker room because of the transgender issues and allowed a sexual predator to attack two young girls. That school board was completely unaware of it. Someone on that board had to have known something was going on. Some parent would probably make a phone call, but no. And the father was treated as if he was a criminal when he went to the police station to fetch his daughter to find out what was going on. And he wasn't even told that she was sexually assaulted until he started to take her home and she told him what happened. Come on. You've got to be kidding me. This, this was handled in such a bad, bad manner. And that school board should be disbanded and a new one elected because you, you, can't, you can't have something like this happen. But they were treated as if they were criminals. And the father was called a domestic terrorist because he was... What father would not want to throw a punch at someone when their child was hurt this badly? What father would not want to fight for that child? And have the school board answer that, and they couldn't. So I, it, it, it's, it's nuts. It is absolutely nuts. And they use him as an example of why Merrick Garland was asking the FBI to do this. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, we, we are right, I think, to be skeptical and, uh, and frankly, very critical of what the, um, the federal administration is doing around these investigations. But we also have to remember that these are real people's lives. And it is, everything that you described there is just devastating. I mean, it's just devastating to consider what a parent would have to go through. No parent would ever, ever want to go through something like that. And it's, it's a, just a terrifying thought. So that, that kind of makes this particular policy issue hit home for so many people. I mean, this is why parents have been going to school boards around the country and telling them that they do not like what's being done in terms of both the curriculum around the racial discrimination in critical race theory, as well as these questions of uh, gender identity that um, are being taught to students. And, uh, and I think this is why parents are so upset. 
And I think if, uh, you know, policymakers ignore parents' opinions at their peril, right, because uh, now you have a very serious issue on your hands. And, um, and it's, uh, it's, it's just uh, very sad that it had to come to that to raise even more people's attention to what was going on. And then you have a governor in Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, that's saying parents do not have a right to determine what is being taught to their child. Excuse me? Excuse me? Who's, who's the one that birthed that child? Who's the one that's raising that child, that's feeding and clothing that child? Not the government. It's the parent. And the parent does not have a voice in what is being taught to their child. That was, and he is so adamant about that. And this is what the parents are facing. And you don't want them to speak out because you don't want someone, you want to keep Terry McAuliffe in, in power. You want to keep that school board in power. And that's what it is. It's all about power, isn't it, Jonathan? Well, it's funny how uh, every once in a while those who are trying to cover up what they really think, they'll, uh, it'll sneak out, right, what their real opinion is. And uh, for, to hear McAuliffe say that is, is quite revealing. Uh, just as um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I might have been last week, the head of the American Federation for Teachers, the second largest teacher union in the country, tweeted something about how she was praising a mom for taking her child to a school on the other side of the uh, on the other side of the district because they had a different policy regarding masks, and uh, all of the folks like me that follow uh, parent choice and education said, "Why, yes, that is good. She was using school choice. We think that's great. Welcome to the party, uh, Randy Weingarten. We're so <laughs> glad you're here. Come on in. The water's warm." Um, so you know she, what she was revealing was that her opinions are actually not consistent, and she actually has. Um, motives driven by um, the political winds of the moment, right? What she wants to do is latch on to um, the uh, sort of the progressive uh, move right now for greater government coercion on mandates for vaccines, for masks, whatever. And look, uh, vaccines are important. They serve people very well. Should they be mandated by the government? No, not necessarily, right? That's a a broader question there about how that should uh, be handled by health experts, and there's a lot of research that should go into uh, that question. But it, it, it's, an oppor- it's an opportunist, right, who will seize on this moment and say, I can gin up my base by saying, ha, look, I, we, can, wait, we have someone who agrees with me, and I will praise that person because, you know, they went and did what I think should be forced on everyone. And so they praise that without realizing that they're actually praising, you know, this this uh, liberty enhancing idea of school choice at the same time. Now, it is amazing. It is absolutely amazing. You know, um, I went to the school board and I was supporting Moms for Liberty. Now, I wasn't blessed with children, but Moms for Liberty is a new group started out of Florida. It's spreading through. I can't tell you how many states. Last I heard was 18 going on 20. Um it's where an everyday citizen, you're a taxpayer, you're a voter, you're maybe a grandparent, you may be a neighbor, but you can support them uh, and by speaking out because you're paying taxes. Your money is paying the school board taxes. So you have a right to say what is going on with your money. And I stood there with them, and I publicly spoke about the mask mandate. What I didn't know because at this point, our school board is all about optics. The camera is on the board, and you never see the person speaking at the podium. And they have about 40-foot distance between you on the podium and the rest of the school board. <laughs> Talk about elitism. 
And uh, I didn't realize, someone told me that as they were watching the school board, several of them were snickering. One was texting on his phone. And I said, oh, all right. Thought it was just, you know, me. All right. So the next time a friend of mine gets up to speak and you could actually hear them laughing at her. And I'm going, oh, no, oh, no, not that's not good. And I got my guinea up. Uh, There's a little child turned around and I told them, we're coming after your seats. You snicker at any one of these people, no matter what side of the aisle they sit on, you snicker at all of us. You show your disdain. And I says, we will come for those that snickered. Your seats are coming first. And then we're going to go after the board members who did not reprimand you for snickering. Your seats are next. And for those that did say something and reprimand them, I thank you. Your seat is secure. And the, the shock on their face, you could have heard a pin drop. And then they cut the feed to the public right after I spoke. So unless you were in the room, you didn't know how the meeting ended or watch the video later on. Well, I think parents around the country have been doing this. Uh, There was a report from Axios a couple of months ago that said between January and July of this year, there were twice as many uh, efforts at either recall elections or campaigns for school board recall elections as there were all of last year. So that means in just the first seven months of this year, you had parents trying to either uh, voters trying to recall school board member seats or had started campaigns to do so in uh, far higher rates, at twice the rate as all of last year. And so this is what the school board setting is for, right? I mean, this is, it is meant to be a place for civil discourse. It's also meant to be a place where parents can speak their minds and talk about what their values and beliefs are. And if school board members don't reflect those priorities and beliefs, it is, you know, well within the right of voters to say, you know, I I will see you at the ballot box. Now, I've been hearing that some of these school boards are cutting out the public comment period. And if you're doing Robert's rules, isn't that in violation? Isn't there something that, that says they cannot legally do that? There must be public comment. I know that my county council has it in place where they must allow uh, public comment. They limit it to three minutes, but they still have to allow public comment. So what do we do about not even having a public comment anymore to put our voices? Well, and I'm on a a public school board as well. In every meeting, we have a public comment on the agenda. So uh, I know it is, uh, if not a a legal issue, it is certainly standard. But more importantly, it's a reflection of just what I was talking about. This is the democratic representative process at the local level that makes America so unique and makes America special, right, for people to have a voice in their local communities because schools should be a reflection of the values of that community. And so when school boards rob them of that, they're stealing parents the opportunity to be active in their community. To, they're, they're denying parents the chance to um, have a say in something that is certainly going to affect them. Even if they don't have kids in the public school, they still, like you said, pay taxes for that school, right? Um, they know the teachers probably. They uh, certainly have, have come into contact with someone in that school, either at the grocery store or across the pew at church or, you know, could be a, a coworker. So, you know, you're – you have something that is central to, to uh, your local community, and when you deny parents, anyone, taxpayers, the chance to get up and speak their mind, you're robbing a, a central element of what makes a, uh, a representative system, a federalist system, so, uh, so valuable, so powerful. Well, p- parents are also turning to 
alternative ways of education, whether it's homeschooling, charter schools, a growing number of parents looking for religious schools, you know, Christian, Judeo-Christian-centered schools, um, even uh, uh, temples. They're taking their kids out of the public school. Now, um, depending upon what state they're in, it depends upon if they take the child out at a certain time of year, that school board will lose the funding for the rest of the year. Uh, I know the time has already lapsed here in uh, my county, I believe in South Carolina, that's what the laws, it was like a month or so ago, they had a deadline if they wanted to keep their child in or not, otherwise the school would lose or keep the funding. But the, a lot of the alternative schooling is very, very interesting. You wrote about it, um, about a space of mind program. Tell us what that is. Sure. So this is a school down in Florida that uh, is, it's fascinating because it's almost hard to define exactly it's sort of a, a, a school that's not exactly a school. Um, the head of the school described it to me as um, it's sort of the, the unschool, right? So you have students who are from, in some cases, homeschool backgrounds. Sometimes they are being homeschooled and they will come part-time to uh, this, uh, this space of mind location. Um, it is uh, definitely student-driven and allows uh, for both project-based learning as well as students to kind of, uh, for teachers to design the curriculum around the needs of the students. And um, it, uh, it, it's meant to sort of marry these very flexible learning platforms of learning pods as well as uh, education savings accounts together. So you have a in-person experience with a teacher as well as a, uh, a flexible learning platform that allows students to both pursue their interests, but also focus on the essentials of math and reading and the things that, you know, the, the skills and, and um, tools that students will need to go on to the next level. It's, uh, it's a really an, an exciting way to kind of re-envision what the K-12 classroom looks like. It's really, really interesting. Uh, I'm glad that parents and other people are thinking outside the box uh, because with what is going on in the schools, the public schools, and some of the horror stories I'm hearing about some of the literature they're giving to even a four-, five-, and six-year-olds that contains pornography. I mean, excuse me? Really? That's not the purpose of the school. You're supposed to be teaching English, math, science, you know, the basics, history, real history, not critical race theory. You know, traditional learning is what you want to do, hone these skills. You're hearing stories of kids graduating from high school unable to read or write. Parents have to take their future back because these kids are their future. And I'm glad to see something like this happening because if you turn around and you look at the anniversary, not anniversary, Arizona State University and their wokeness, oh, my goodness, you got to pull these kids out of these colleges. Don't give them your money. You're paying your child's tuition. You get something like this. Um, this is. Tell us how the heck do you marry critical race theory to music to teaching music? How the heck do you do that? Well, that's why when I've been asked over the past few months, especially about what critical race theory is, I always describe it first as a worldview. It is not just a field of academic study. It is not simply a way of talking about history. It is a entire philosophy about interpreting everything in public and private life. So sure, you can apply critical race theory to music in the same way you can do it to art, 
to education, to mathematics, to history, to uh, anything, right? Because it's based on a couple of fundamental concepts that will underlie how you interpret the world. So, for example, in music, you interpret it as um, the existing Western canon, Mo Mozart, Beethoven, Bach, what have you, um, are oppressive because they, it was not written by someone from a marginalized community. It leaves out uh, anyone who is an ethnic minority and could have contributed to this. So uh, because it is strictly from a particular point of view, that means that um, it is less valuable. And so classical music is not valuable if it is not from someone who is a part of your tribe or it doesn't represent someone from a, an oppressed tribe. Uh, you, music has to be representative of this oppressive world, and so it has to be something designed by people who are either persecuted or feel themselves who are persecuted. And look, this is not to make light of slavery. This is not to make light of the Jim Crow era. This is to make light of uh, this constant pursuit of uh, virtue signaling, right? Where um, the, you know these symphonies and uh, national organizations of of classical musicians are saying that they're you know they're sorry for the Western canon. They're sorry for systemic racism in the United States, and so they must apologize and they're going to change the way that they do different things so that um, it is not reflective anymore of greatness or excellence. It's reflective of um, different tribes competing for power, right? Or, or this, what they call an oppressive society. So it, it's, a, it's a whole change in, a, in, in perspective. Sure. In other words, if you're white, no matter what you do, you're a racist. Oh, absolutely. And that's the message from Ibram Kendi. I mean, he's the, you know, he's the apostle of this whole anti-racism, you know, idea. And so his, his, whole, his whole message is that, um, you know, if you are not um, if you are not admitting you are a racist or uh, while also um, saying that you are opposed to racism, you're wrong. So you have to do both. And uh, it, it's a vicious circle because if you say, why, you know, no, I don't, I don't believe in bigotry, uh, that makes you a bigot. But if you say that you are a part of a systemic bigotry, you know, racist culture, why then you're a racist? So, so there's no way out, right? It's the perfect trap. <laughs> Curtis, go ahead. Yeah. When I speak before people and they ask me about CRT, I sum it up this way. It's a negative critique of the United States, mostly against our European culture, our traditions, and definitely a critique of our founding fathers. And basically, I think they all get it. And of course, this this can um, be applied also to all of Western civilization. That's what I, I wanted to add. Well, I think you're exactly right. And the, the critical race theorists like Richard Delgado and Derek Bell, they described it just like you did there, right? They say that critical race theory is skeptical of the enlightenment, of the rule of law, of uh, America's system of government. I mean, that's how they defined it. So, so you're, you're exactly right. I mean, I think what, what is among the many troubling things about the whole philosophy is that it makes it very, very difficult, if not impossible, to actually talk about 
the problems in America's past, right? We cannot have a conversation about slavery that condemns it while saying at the same time that our founding documents were inconsistent with slavery in the first place. And so the issue is not the Constitution or the Declaration, it's how it was carried out, right? And the same with the Civil Rights Movement, right? There was enormous sacrifice that went into that movement. I mean, everything from beatings to jails to, um, you know, marches across the states. I mean, this, this, sure, lynching, right? I mean, this was a movement that, that shaped an entire generation and should shape the future. But we can't talk about that because Derek Bell and Delgado, those two names that I just gave you, they wrote that um, the only reason there was civil rights progress at all in the United States was because white individuals were trying to preserve their power. So they robbed the civil rights movement of its core moral superiority. They robbed it of that. And we can't have that conversation anymore. And so I think that's, that's, a, tra- that's a tragedy. I mean, it's a tragedy that we cannot um, understand what was wrong with the past so that we can teach the next generation to not repeat it. Well, Jonathan, it has been a pleasure, as always. Tell Tom I thank him for sending me quality people like you. They can find you over at Heritage Foundation, which is heritage.org. God bless you for the hard work you do. You really do a lot. Thank you. All right. Check out Jonathan, Jonathan Butcher, over at the Heritage Foundation. A lot of great articles up there. I only touched a little bit on the top. Um, I... I think we may have Peter Wood back uh, next week. I'm not sure. I'll have to double-check to see what I've got lined up. But we will be back here next week. If anyone missed it, I did a special broadcast on Tuesday uh, because Peter could not be with me on this Friday. Uh, so you can check out the archives. It's just a little over half an hour with Peter Wood. So I'll leave you, Curtis, and everyone else with our song from Barry Pecorella, Babe America. And Curtis, travel safe, and I will see you up here on Monday. Okay? That's correct. I'll be there. All right. All right, here we go.